Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Good evening, everybody. This is Jim Towns. I'm your host here for the Borco Pass Horror Podcast, and with me is Livio Marino. Say hi to everybody, Livio. Hello, everybody. Awesome. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking tonight about one of Livio's actual favorite uh, films in in the horror right. fran- in the Universal Horror franchise. Something that had a big influence on him. Uh, we just sort of decided real quick today to to do this episode. Uh, so I've done just a little prep for it. I'm familiar with the film, but I did a little, you know, re- refresh. I think Olivia is much more familiar with it than me. So this is going to be an interesting <laughs> conversation. Uh, we are talking about The Mummy's Ghost from 1944. Uh, in this uh, fourth chapter in Universal's Mummy franchise, Cars the Undying Mummy continues his quest to find his lost love, Ananka, and John Carradine wears a fez. So, you know, it's right. kind of the yeah. best of both worlds, right? Yeah, you you get two things uh, that are worthy of seeing. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's it's Cheney's second outing as the Mummy, right? Livio? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the second second uh, Chorus sequel, or second sequel to the Mummy's Hand, I should say. Um, third in the the Chorus series, and like you said, fourth in the overall Mummy series. From right, from M- Mummy's Boris Karloff, Mummy's Hand is Tom Tyler. Yeah, right. Mummy's Tomb, right? Yes. Is, is our first Cheney, and then here is our second. And then there's one more after this, which we'll be covering. We'll be doing The Mummy's Curse at some point. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, this, uh, this is one that I kind of, I've always dug this one. Um, I like uh, Ramsey Ames' uh, character, uh, uh, Amina, as as the uh, <laughs> the the college co-ed of vaguely Egyptian heritage. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's kind of... <laughs> Um, uh, stuck in there, uh, filling in for Aquanetta. I never knew that until yes. I just looked up some trivia on this. Aquanetta from from Jungle Woman and Captive Wild Woman was supposed to play this role, and then had a fall at the beginning of production, gave herself a concussion, and and got herself out of the film. So, I guess I that's mean, the story. I don't know. I mean, I know I know Aquanetta was was not totally pleased with the role she was getting. So, yeah, I was going to say. I mean, some people go know. to great lengths to uh, to you know skip out of work. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, falling exactly. down and getting yourself a concussion is is probably more on the extreme side. But no, I mean, I I, I, I jest, but the yes. uh, apparently between the from Aquanetta's own story and story of Reginald the Borg, um, they don't quite match up. But the gist is, you know, they started filming, and um, regardless of whether it was a, a mistake by the prop team or just her falling down, um, she injured herself, and and okay. you know. As as was the uh, the norm for this period for Universal, you know, very very tight schedule and very quick turnaround right. in these movies, and they don't they don't wait around, you know, they're not going to wait around to <laughs> for, no, yeah. for anybody, and so she was she was quickly Usually. replaced with uh, Ramsey Ames. Usually, except for uh, except for well, I, no, that would have been um, that was that was RKO. We just talked about Isle of the Dead, and um, uh, or we're about to talk about. 
Isle of the Dead. And Boris Karloff heard it had a back operation that, that they suspended filming for a couple of weeks or, or a month or something like that um, yeah. or, or something on that production. But I guess that was Boris Karloff. So. Yeah, the um, slight difference between Aquanetta and yeah. Boris Karloff. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I think we went out here because I think, I think uh, Ramsey Ames is unique in this film. I, I don't think she did any other universal horrors. She did a bunch of other stuff. She did. Um, um, and, of course, you know, you, you, I don't know how much you want to classify this as horror, but she did do one of the inner sanctums, actually the first inner sanctum, uh, Calling Dr. Death. Um, she played. Oh, she did. Uh, she played Lon Chaney Jr.'s. Um, manipulative and, and kind of evil wife in Ooh. the movie <laughs> who I meets that. who meets an early and untimely demise. But um okay. yeah, that that and this one are the only ones I really know her from. Interesting. Both both with Lon Chaney Jr. Um yeah. great. Uh I think I think her, her hair in this, the the just the way her hair is styled for most of the film and then the the inevitable Broderick Frankenstein skunk stripe she she gets <laughs> into it is so beautiful and iconic i i just think it's so fun universal kind of quoted we're getting ahead of ourselves but universal kind of quoting itself <laughs> yes it is, is is really fun and and sets up um yvonne de carlo in the monsters and you know all the way down down the road uh, Absolutely. obviously okay we'll just get it out of the way obviously bernadette peters in <laughs> in in uh, young frankenstein so there we go um madeline Kahn, young Frankenstein. madeline Kahn, yeah madeline Kahn. sorry okay Anyway, all right, moving on. <laughs> Whew, this is going to be a fun one, guys. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the film obviously stars Lon Chaney Jr. As, uh, repeating his role as Karis. It stars John Carradine as Yusuf Bey. George Zucco returns as the high priest from the last film and the, the, actually the film before that, too. He, he's worked his way up. Does he die? He doesn't die at the, in this scene in no, it, well, Mummy's yeah. tomb, does he? He no, just sends, it, he sends the other Bay guy on his mission. The other, yeah, the second bay, Tur- Turhan Bay, or whatever. Turhan yeah. Bay, yes. Uh, no, it's it's actually ironic because uh, he dies in at the end of the mummy's hand, presumably, but then he comes back thirty years later, and then he seemingly yes. dies of old age at the end of the mummy's tomb, and then comes <laughs> back here. And this one, he doesn't die, and then he's not seen again. So, <laughs> M- right, M- mummy, mummy's hand is the one where he really should have died because he takes that, yeah, he gets shot about seven like times eight, and falls yeah, down those stairs, yeah, but, eighty but, flights but, of stairs, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh gosh, um, okay. Uh, and then it, uh, just, again, Ramsey Ames, it, uh, uh, Robert Lowry comes in as Tom Harvey. We know Robert from House of Horrors, and he also yes. played Batman in the first, uh, Batman serial, uh, uh film produced. Um, Barn McLean is, the, uh, one, one other notable thing. Barn McLean is, uh, he, he's Inspector Walgreen. He's the, uh, inspector also in Maltese Falcon, much better known for that is the the rough uh, uh, sh- uh detective that sam spade has to contend with in, throughout the film um and again here obviously being typecast just a bit as a inspector um director uh reginald laborg i don't know much about reginald do, do, does he do anything else that we should be talking about he does um so th- this was his first uh four-way four let me try this again in english four, this is his first what wait <laughs> This was his first... Uh, it's a family show, uh, Livio. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> kind of. Kind of. Um, this was his first, uh, I'll just say his first universal horror <laughs> picture. Okay. Because words are hard for me tonight. Um, and I know he ended up doing uh, a few of the Inner Sanctums, I, th- I think. I know he did the first one. He did Calling Dr. Death, and I think he did mm-hmm. two more. Um, oh, cool. 
And he went on, even did some genre films throughout the 50s and 60s. Um, I think one of the most notable was he directed The Black Sleep in 1956. Oh, nice. So that was the one that had uh, Rathbone, Carradine, Lugosi, Cheney, um, Tor Johnson, you know, <laughs> kind of this, right on. this yeah. you know, hodgepodge of... of uh, and so he, he actually worked, I mean, I know as a director, he worked, I, I think, with just about all the major uh, horror stars. He, he worked right with on. Karloff, Lugosi, you know, Lon Chaney, John Carrad, you know, just kind of all of them. So yeah, he, uh, he, the, the hat trick. He did, yeah. Um, so <laughs> cool. yeah, he, he did this. And I think, um, you know, these, I guess I'm going to go with this right off the bat, but uh, the Cars film, specifically the the sequels, the the three sequels, Mummy's Tomb, Ghost, and Curse, they tend to get a lot of, eh, you know, they kind of get panned a lot, which in some ways I get. But, you know, I think each is a little bit unique and each holds its own, I guess, power in in terms of storytelling and stuff. A lot of the story gets rehashed and they're obviously very quickly made. But Reginald LeBorg's direction here, I think combined with, Cheney's acting and Carradine's acting, um, especially in this this movie, um, really makes this stand out. It, uh, this is my favorite of the of the Karis films. I think Cheney actually gets to have emotion and show emotion as Karis. Um, you know, John Carradine interesting puts a little bit more. I think. Uh, well, you know, as the Carradine, director said, Carradine definitely elevates this. Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he elevates it. Like, like Carradine could. We haven't really talked much about Carradine on the show, except for uh, the House of Dracula so far. I think he's the only. Well, oh, and uh, and obviously Captive Wild Woman. Uh, we did we did get into yeah. what what he brought to uh, to to these kinds of things. Um, really, I don't want to say too good for the material, but you know he was maybe slumming a little when he's doing some of these really quick ones he was he'd obviously done bigger stuff before this and i guess he just found himself you know in this position where he was he was doing these films for universal but we're just so much the luckier for that because he really does like i said he elevates it oh absolutely and i honestly i think he um this is the time where i think his goal his main purpose his main desire was to uh have his own you know shakespeare traveling company and he essentially took whatever role i mean i I think that's why you know during this time in the 40s you can view him in you know as a in a very good movie as a sadistic nazi or you could view him in a poverty row you know monogram serial with lugosi because he he would take anything because this was his way of financing his his theater company (laughs) he's just earning and stuff he's it's like uh dare i say it's like gary sinise doing NYPD Blue or whatever, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. CSI New York. That's what it was. Yes. Uh, who? I mean, yeah. I mean, that guy wasn't doing a, that that series because of his love for the elevated genre writing. He 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 was, <laughs> yeah. you know, funding Steppenwolf pretty much. Yeah. Yes. Um, understood. That's cool. Um, hey, hey, for for any reason, but yeah, no, no, he's great in it. And again, like, like I do think, I think, I think the cast. Uh, is above average for for what is again like the the third sequel in a in a franchise at this point. Um, yes, I I think the I mean I think there could be a little more jeopardy and dynamism in the film and stuff, but it's 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 what it is. And again, yeah, produced quickly. You know, it, we get to this point with these films, and I've talked about this before, where it, they sort of are 
they're slightly elevated versions of almost like the cereals at this point. You know, yes. they're 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 they are being being cranked out, and the fact that they sell as well as they do, uh, you know, remain remaining as 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 memorable as they are, uh, really is a testament to just the the skill of everyone coming to them in spite of budget and in spite of everything else. So anyway, all right. Um, again, Mummy's Ghost, 1944. Uh, we start off with some second unit uh, stuff from uh, Egypt, and then we start off with what was actually a pickup shot. I, I think the film was supposed to start just in situ with the mummy stalking the... Is this a, It's set in California, right? Supposedly? Uh, no, it, this, this is still, No, no, it's, it's set in... Mapleton, Massachusetts. East, right? Yeah. It's still so, set in Mapleton, right. Yeah, so, in, in, you know, in Mummy's Hand, it's obviously in, all in Egypt. And the Mummy's yes. Tomb, that's when Karis and Turin Bay travel from Egypt to Massachusetts. To and then Massachusetts, they, they right. kill off everybody from the Mummy's Hand from the previous film. Ex- exactly, <clears throat> yes, yes. This, this almost. film... Almost. Um, and this film pretty much picks it up, and they're in that same locale, the same uh, Mapleton, Massachusetts. Yes. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. So we are in Mapleton. Thank you. Um, uh, but the film was supposed to start out there. And I think after filming, Reginald Labor kind of convinced Universal to give him a little bit of money, more money to go and film this kind of uh, uh, prelude scene that again takes place back in Egypt and where we see uh, uh, John Carradine's character climbing up the stairs, which I'm pretty sure is actually a shot of George Zucco's character climbing up the it stairs. Is, yes. or possibly. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, um, because because it was that one set from this that other film that was you know years before at this point I'm sure it was gone. Um, uh, and meeting with old again old George Zucco and <laughs> and George Zucco wasn't that old he was he's he's aged up in some really great makeup again just like the last film by by Jack Pierce. Um, and I think they there's a moment where you know Zucco's famous for kind of keeping his hand kind of shielded right. Because yes. he had the injury, yeah. and there's a moment where they they actually put it camera forward and really like showcase it, and you can see his whole hand quivering, and I think he might be actually accentuating his own injury that he sustained in World War One a little bit um, as a way to sell the the age, which is really really bold and you know audacious of him. I I just it's a it's just a nice moment where you see it, like yeah. the weakening of this man. Yeah, it is. Um, it reminds me a little bit of you know the way Karloff would remove part of his. Uh, you know his partial yes the, the bridge it, yeah yeah to to give his cheeks a sunken and look for his Frankenstein exactly. monster you know just exactly. taking a, a quote unquote ailment or you know something that's that's not right, right. about you physically and then using it to your yeah. advantage He's, using it which you know just like Rondo Hatton or you know we we've gone through this about a little bit um uh, in some of these these actors that would do this uh what the, this time the thing I kind of took away from this Livio is that. Kind of these these films, they're kind of like Mission Impossible films, where at the beginning of the movie, George Zuckle <laughs> gives him his mission. He's like, you know, should you choose to accept it? Right? He's yes. kind of like Ethan Hunt. It's like your mission this time is to is to take cars to to America. This time, your mission is to go get cars and bring them back from America because we left you him there. You have forever changed the way I view these movies. <laughs> <laughs> you need that that sizzling, uh, you know, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Um, I need a um, self-destructing tape recorder now. To now, just... yeah, exactly. Um, now, this is something I've never noticed until this last watching of this, Livio, and, and see if 
this is something you're aware of, or maybe you know more about it than me. Um, up until now, this uh, the, the 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 sect of priesthoods in these in these Karas films has always been talked. They've talked about the Temple of Karnak. Here yes. is, is this the first one. It's changed to Arkham, right? Yes. And there's even there's a moment at the end where uh, which which obviously they would have filmed before they went back and filmed this prelude scene because it's a it was a pickup after filming finished. Um, there's a there's a close up of John Carradine speaking a prayer and he you can see when he says the word Arkham that's a loop his mouth does not match what he's saying so I think he's saying Karnak in that in when they shot it and when they went back and they dubbed it they changed him to saying saying Arkham and I have no idea why. I don't know if it was because Karnak is actually a reference to a real historical place and if there was a decision to change that or if it was a rights issue or anything like that, but definitely somewhere between the last film and this one, that that changed. Yeah. Um, I Honestly, I don't think it was any type of thing for like a rights issue or anything. Um, now that you, I'm, I'm trying to remember if... I want to say they go back to Karnak for the Mummy's Curse, but I, I'm not totally sure on that. I'd have to watch that yeah, one again. Okay, but, we'll have to see. But yeah, no, I honestly I think it was just more of a quick writing, and you know whoever <laughs> whoever had the the pen to to paper or the in uh-huh. front of the typewriter that day maybe just didn't pay attention or wasn't wasn't so, thinking about it and just kind of inserted so there, generic there's, Egypt. There, there's name a moment here. where something changed, and then they had to go back and make sure it all matched or something. Yeah. That's interesting. That's that's entirely possible. Ark, I mean, Arkham Arkham does sound like Arkham, which is which you know factors into the Lovecraftian mythos, which which would have been written at this time. They would have already yeah. that that stuff would already been out there. So I don't know, uh, but we'll see. Also, it seems like they've changed the mythology a little bit, and there's been this inserted kind of sub thing that that not just Karis, but Ananka committed sacrilege too, right? Yeah, yeah. This so is the this first is, time we, yep. we hear this. Yep, this is the first time that we we hear that the gods cursed. Ananka, you know, before it was it was it was a lot like um, the original Boris Karloff mummy, which is yes, Karis tried to revive her and did you know did an unholy thing and was therefore cursed by the gods and sentenced right. to to this eternal you know damnation of being a living mummy. But this, yes. for this one, this this is also the first one of the Karis sequels that deals with reincarnation because that was never a thing mm-hmm. in the mummy's hand or the mummy's tomb. Um, and so I think they maybe kind of used that and expanded upon it to say, you know, well, it's not just Karis that did something wrong. It was a knock into, you know, and kind of saying, or, or at least, uh, indicating that their love was, their union was an, an unholy one and was yes. one that was, yeah, not it, it was, it was their actual happen. union that, that, that yeah. caused them to be in this. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought. But well, kind of going back though to the original, the Karloff Freund film, where Zito Johan's character becomes possessed with the the spirit of Anxanamen, right? I mean, it, yes. we're sort of skipping back to the original Mummy film, which which is not part of this. You know, obviously with Mummy's Tomb, the the or Mummy's Hand, the the mythology was really changed. But yeah, I just like it's interesting. They're just they're subtly changing it just a little bit just to suit where they want to go with it, which I think is interesting. There and it's it's becoming. There's a little bit more, like like Ananka has a little bit more, uh, like impact on the story now as opposed to just Karas. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and there's a, uh, I think there's a good, there's a big uh, shift in story here. So you know, there's there's four Cars films, 
and they're all direct sequels of each other. And but yeah, you know, Mummy's Hand and Mummy's Tomb. Well, the Mummy's Hand you can watch on it's the first one you can watch that just on its own. Mummy's Tomb is really hard to follow unless you see the Mummy's Hand. Yeah, um, Mummy's Curse is a little bit hard to follow unless you've seen this one, the Mummy's Ghost. But between Mummy's Tomb and Mummy's Ghost, there's not a whole. I mean, there, there's a, a couple recurring characters, and of course, they reference in this beginning of this film yeah. kind of some of the events. But it's not really the whole story of like the Bannings and and their family and the discovery yeah. is is gone. Now it's all about less, less important. Yeah, yeah. Now it's all about Ananka and that the kind of whole reincarnation piece. So this kind of is a and honestly, it's probably a good thing, you know, because they've you had two films. Mummy's Hand and Mummy's Tomb that that really kind of dealt with the same type of story about right. you know disturbing this this tomb and all that stuff and the curse that follows the family and so now they're moving the story's kind of moving away from that and now focusing more on actually Karis and Ananka the the people and the the whole you know mythology of reincarnation and things like that so you can almost yeah. watch Mummy's Ghost. And curse is is a separate, <laughs> separate a little bit there, like a, you know? a almost a third franchise, yeah. In the yeah. in the thing, um, no, I, I do like that, and I think I, I do. I mean, they do a very thorough job of bringing you up to date with exposition in in the movie. So, so we we've already talked about the there's the scene in Egypt at the Temple of Arkham, um, where they sort of go into some of the backstory about Karis and and Ananka and all that stuff, and then it it does this neat thing where Carradine's starting to Tell, tell, say, say a sentence, and uh, Frank Riker as as Professor Norman comes in and finishes the sentence, and now we're in Scripps University, uh, or a I think Scripps University here at, or at in in Mapleton, uh, and he's telling his class with, about yeah. <laughs> with the world's oldest college students. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're kind of like, wow. Is this is this postgraduate? Is this? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, a bunch of middle-aged college, college yeah. boys, yes. Um, uh, which is a, a nice little thing. So Professor Norman is our one carryover from the last film. He was the character who, when nobody was believing it was a mummy, he's the character who comes in and they bring in, I guess, and he does the test on the mold of the bandages and says, no, this is a 3,000-year-old mummy. And, and yeah. that's when the cops in that film finally start believing, like, oh, I guess it's mummy. Here, there's never... A hesitation. Well, there's one student who's like, I don't believe this really happened. He's like, dude, a bunch of people saw it. The police were there. It happened. Deal with it. <laughs> he shuts them down. Um, and, and in this film, the police instantly, as soon as, as, soon as they see bandages, they're like, oh, the mummy's back. Like, there's never... <laughs> this entire community is like, oh, shit, the mummy's back. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> they're very, no... They're just used to There's this. no second guessing in this one where yeah. people have to prove it's kind of a known... Thing. They're past that, yeah. I yeah. think that's I think that's cool. Um, but Professor Norman again is is delivering this whole speech, and he's explained what happened with um, Stephen Banning and Babe Hansen, and how they they discovered the tomb and brought the, the mummy or brought Ananka back, and then, then the mummy comes over, and there's the whole thing and stuff, and and everyone mummy comes over and kills everyone um, except him, I guess, and um, and now you know, um, but 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 then he he does he goes into something which. It never occurred to me. I was just thinking. He's like, well, you know, we found some Tana leaves that I, I guess, I guess the last bay got, you know, uh, uh, had Turhan Bay had something to do with. And he's like, leftovers. Yeah. Would it be neat if we could figure out what the deal is with the Tana leaves? Because apparently they keep people alive forever. So it seems like they would have some medical usages, right? <laughs> like to modern science. Like that would be that would be a really important discovery. I would think. 
Yeah. And I get the impression that Professor Norman, you know, so in The Mummy's Tomb, and which we've covered before, you know, it's he's obviously, he believes, and he's obviously very interested in this. And you get the impression and get the sense that he has been spending his time since The Mummy's Tomb yes. really analyzing this and really studying it and trying to figure out you know this how is what he's working on yeah mm-hmm. you know how, how does this scientifically make sense and um and you know he he figures it out and unfortunately for him but <laughs> right um, yes yes exactly um yes so so um we're talking about the middle-aged people in the classroom one of those people <laughs> is, is tom harvey uh, again played played by robert lowry uh who's from house of horrors who's just really I mean, as as you know, these heroes in these movies go, just really f- charismatic and and likable, and you know, as opposed to, you know, what's the name from Captive Wild Women or you know, no, uh, like <laughs> Milburn Stone, yeah, Milburn Stone's character, yeah, um, exact, like he's uh, he's engaged and stuff. So 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 uh, Tom Harvey really likes uh, this girl named Amina who. I'm not sure if she works at the school, or if she works in one of the offices, or if she, it's, that's it's just work the, study. The library I think she's, is, is yeah. She's I think she actually at. works, or she maybe she you're right. Maybe she works at the library itself. But he's still in school because there's a mention later, like she's like Tom, you're about to graduate. <laughs> I guess I guess he was held back a little while. Like, yeah, you Tom, know, like really, six or eight Tom, years. Or you're, something thir- like that. you're 37 and a half. You really yeah. should graduate. <laughs> you know? Before you can collect social security. Um, uh, so he he goes and he and he sees Amina, um, his his girlfriend, and because right before that, okay, his classmate, after the whole discussion about the mummy, his classmate who was like, I don't think mummies really exist, and and he gets shot down by the professor. His classmate's like, you should ask your girlfriend all about mummies because you know she's part Egyptian, and he gets really righteously ignorant of him. It's like he's like, what's he like? Like we're uh. Your ancestors lived in caves, so maybe you should go talk to them about Neanderthals or something. It's it's really funny how he turns it back on this guy. Um, yeah. Uh, and throughout the movie, we see a little bit of... Uh, Amina is treated slightly different just because it's known that she has uh, heritage that's not... Obviously, like, you know, her parents didn't come on the, the Mayflower. Like, pretty much, I guess everyone else in Mapleton is, is pretty much, you know, that kind of waspy kind of kind of descendant. So she she's a she's a little bit of a, an other thing from the start, even before she gets possessed by, you know, Ananka's ghost and stuff. So um but it's it factors in because the police are a little more suspicious of her than they normally would be. It, this whole thing. And so it, there's a little subtext thing about her being the other. Um which in nineteen forty four, someone of a different heritage than purely, you know, European or English or whatever, these people were treated with just a little bit of extra suspicion, if not outright racism uh, yeah. during World War II. So, you know, that's kind of on brand for the era uh, the film came out in. Absolutely. But the film doesn't... Uh, th- I-, I feel like the film makes a point of, like, showing it, though. I don't think the film's saying, like, this is right because she's part Egyptian. She should be discriminated against. I think the film's kind of very subtly doing just a, just a little bit of poking, uh, you know, holding up a little bit of a mirror. I don't know. Yeah, they, and I think they 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 quickly kind of show that by the way that uh, they quickly show that by the way that Tom 
you know, kind of bites at his his classmate for for right, just saying, right. "Hey, your girlfriend's Egyptian. Ask her about mummies." And be like, "You know, come on, you know, he's <laughs> like, you know, st- stop doing that." You know, she's yeah, yeah. He he re- he really like reads him the riot act. It's really funny. And then he immediately goes in and talk to her. He starts talking. He starts her asking her about mummies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. So so I guess you know, we can only expect so much. Um. Um. But but there you we settle into this thing where uh she is very un- Amina is very uncomfortable talking about Egypt and about her heritage and about mummies even though she seems to be reading a book about it um so you get this kind of uh, uh it just sets it up a little bit it's it's nice it's it's you can tell something's not quite absolutely normal about her and has nothing to do with her heritage it actually has to do with more than that um, yes yeah um, we also meet what I believe is possibly the, the actual hero of the film here. We meet Peanut, the dog, who, <laughs> I will, we'll get to it, but I will say, does more to save the day, or try to save the day at least, than any other character, including the cops, including Tom, including anyone else. Peanut is the actual hero of this movie, and I'm so glad Peanut survives the whole movie. He does, and it's... Um... I will say, you know, that there's been times as I've gotten older because they, I, th- I think it's peanuts in the, is what they say or, or how. Oh, right. How uh, Tom says it. And he says his his enunciation of the word goes super fast and can be easily, you know, mistaken yes. for yeah, something yeah. else. I, I, I actually, I actually backed up and made sure he was not referencing something else. Because like, wait, what's the dog's name? Yeah. <laughs> this is a 1944 movie. It's a family show. We're going to yeah. keep it clean. I'm just saying. You can go back and listen to that and see. I'm pretty sure he says it too. He probably does. <laughs> I went back and, you know, I'm, I'm listening on Blu-ray. I've got good sound. I don't know. Um, uh, again, uh, yeah. So so Yusuf Bey, uh, John Carradine's character, is tasked to bring uh, Kars and Ananka back. Um, they they lay out the Tana Leaf rule uh, again, so there's this whole idea that you, it requires nine tana leaves, and they have to brood on the night of the full moon um, to to attract Karis, uh, bring Karis back, um, give him uh, his his you know longevity again, and then you know to whatever. So so there's a little bit of a simplification here because in the last one or two, in, it's in the first one, right? In 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 Mummy's hand. There's this whole elaborate thing about the the leaves, right? Where it's like three to wake them up and six to do that, but don't give them twelve. Remember, like there's a whole yeah. It's you know three to to keep them alive. Uh, nine will give him movement, and then if if he drinks more than nine, then you know as George Zuko says, you know he'll become an uncontrollable beast, and like for the likes of the, you know the world has never seen. And nice. I think I think yeah. uh, you know Turin Bay, um, Hemet's Bay is the character from the Mummy's Tomb kind of recites that, you know, three, uh, to keep him alive, they say like nine for motivation. And, uh, here, um, the only thing that's really said it, it, from what I can remember is when, um, uh, Frank Riker, professor Norman is sitting there and, and he, you know, he's, he's talking to his wife and talking about how, you know, the moon's full. And then he, he kind of mm-hmm. stumbles upon it and goes nine, nine, that's the key, you know? And, right. Uh, right. But there's, I don't think there's a lot of attention beyond this paid to. You need to do this so often to give him life, right? And yeah, I think they simplified quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Just to, just in the interest of moving the story along, I think because that starts getting kind of technical, and there's kind of hard to tell how many leaves someone's put into it. And um, I think that I think that device worked 
you know, in the, in the previous films, but I think, it, you know, okay, let's, let's just simplify things and, and move on and get to the, get to the mummy action. Um, <laughs> uh, Professor Norman. So yeah, he's had a breakthrough. He's, he's been working on this apparently and he's home in his home office and his wife is, you know, wants him to come to bed, but, but he's just figured out a translation and he, he's figured out the, the bit about the nine tannin leaves. And I think it's like, it's like, um, I'm blanking on it. It, It's, they, at at some point around this time, maybe a little bit earlier, they, they figured out, uh, they found a plaque that unlocked, I think, Phoenician or something. uh, Anyway, something had been discovered that let archaeologists understand a whole dead language. And it was like, it was like they found one thing that was like a code. And based on that code, they, they were suddenly able to understand this entire, um, uh, uh, a dead language and i think there's there's this idea here where like the professor has has norman has has figured out the not the that what means nine and now he can use that as a code now he now you know he can understand more of this thing so he's had this breakthrough that no one else has and based on that he understands now how to brew the tana leaves and how to do the thing um and he immediately starts doing it uh but unfortunately, what he's he's doing is he's replicating the actual ceremony that George Zucco has taught John Carradine how to bring Karis and attract him. So, but basically, what he's doing is ringing the dinner bell, right, and and telling Karis yeah. to come come get <laughs> exactly. him. Which which is what happens. Can we see our first few shots of of Lon Chaney Jr. walking around the uh, the well, let's call it the Massachusetts countryside yeah. as as yeah. Uh, as Karis the the living mummy. Breaking through fences, but I, I will point out too that, and, and this is where I, I think uh, Reginald LeBorg uh, really has some en- enhancements to this compared to the first two. Um, these first shots of Cheney as or of Caris, you know, walking mm. through are just so beautifully lit yeah. and you know shot from like the perfect angles, and you know it's it's very very ominous and and um, just the way that the you know the the mummy makeups were a bit different uh for for each each movie but the way that in, in this movie in particular the one eye that's closed is so blackened you know it's it's yes. it's very very eerie and when you when you see that especially as he's walking through you know the town at night and it's it's so dark around him it, it there's a reason why you know i, I think people would see these films you know, growing up on TV or even today, you know, I've, mm. I've experienced this with my kids when they were younger, that the mummy films tend to give people the creeps or tend to frighten people the most. And and I think this is one yeah. of the reasons why. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, he's again, uh, I think we've talked about this before when we did uh, mummy, mummy's tomb. It's, you know, the mummy is not, he's not wandering around Egypt anymore. He's wandering around something that looks like your street or your backyard. Yes. Which is very creepy because he he doesn't belong there. Obviously, you can see that you know it doesn't belong. So there's this invasion of the the safe going on where you know obviously if you went to Egypt and you got attacked by a mummy, then you're like, well, I I went to Egypt where it's expected. Yeah, made mummies <laughs> like it, it it's kind of again it's like you kind of met him halfway. Um, you went to Egypt and then yeah. there's the mummy. Um, uh, you don't expect the mummy to be walking around outside your house. Uh, no. Uh, in 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 Mapleton, Massachusetts, or, or wherever. So so you can see how like that's chilling in a, in a way of where where the thing you think is safe is not safe anymore. It's like Poltergeist. It's like you know where Spielberg brought 
Spielberg brought the haunted houses to the to the suburbs, you know. It, yeah, um, it, and it's also got the you know. It, I think they like Michael Myers, you know, Jason. The, oh yeah, you know, those characters really very much took from this because the mummy is very slow, very kind of lumbering, and it doesn't matter how fast you run, it doesn't matter, you know, right. how much of a head start you have, he will always catch up with you, and and that that in fact is you scary know, to think, you know. <laughs> You know, I have I've never really thought about how much Michael Myers is like the mummy and now that I've now you just said that I think that's gonna I think the next time I watch Halloween I'm gonna kind of you know, bring that bit to, to mind and kind of like be like, you know what you're right. And it's like I've talked about before, it's like the Pepe Le Pew thing, right? Where the the black cat who walks underneath the paint thing and gets and paints the stripe on her on her back can run away from Pepe Le Pew all he wants and he just hops and, and does never moves that fast and he always miraculously catches up with her and there's something yeah. uncanny about that and it's that dream thing where you're running and running and you can't get away from things so yes. I just these things like affect us on a on a very basic feral level I think I think I think our DNA we're still we still worry about the wolf and we still worry about what's past the fire and we still you know we're we're evolved so much far past that but there's some that's somewhere back, back in the back of our neanderthal brain so yeah exactly i think the, that's what makes him so creepy absolutely it's one of the scariest latter day incarnations of any of the monster characters in universal for sure oh yes absolutely by far <laughs> yeah because you really could i guess I, and i do think we've talked about this before but you really i mean if the way cheney's playing cars the mummy with the he's dragging his foot and one arm's tied up and he can barely use it and he only has one eye it does seem like you could just run away from him if you could run pretty fast it seems unlikely that the mummy would would be a danger to you <laughs> but but yet you know you never know but then you're going to trip or you're going to fall or something like that and there he is he's a, he is inevitable and i do think again we've talked about this one more time before but we'll just finish up like the the other thing is it, it's like Michael Myers is you can't, there's nothing inside there. You can't reason with the mummy. You can't bribe him. You can't, again, it's like the Terminator. Like he says, like, you, you know, he won't stop until you're dead. That's it. There's nothing. Yes. You can shoot him. You can't, whatever, you know, you can't build a pit and trap him, which is a whole subplot in this film that never, yes. <laughs> that never pays off or does anything, which is really interesting. Um, um, yeah. Um, so again, professor Norman, has has called the mummy and the mummy shows up and we get our yeah again especially especially when he comes in the house we get our first really good look of of um Cheney Jr. in in the makeup again which I I think the makeup you're you're right I think the makeup got better for this one I think his bandages look better it looks less like a suit than the first mummy's tomb there were moments where it looked a little suit like uh every once in a while and a little mask like um and here it I think I think they perfected it a little bit better the way they were going to do it on Cheney Junior's you know physique and everything, um, and he looks great. He looks dare I say he looks just a little thinner in this than in the last one, a little more a little more like the Tom Tyler shape. So I don't know, but yeah, great. Yeah, and he um, so this this scene, uh, you know, Cheney was as 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 has been described by. Uh, director Reginald Borg, Cheney may have got a little too in mm. character, which <laughs> yes. which which happens. But so it, you know when you when you get the shot, I think it's kind of a, a lower shot or underneath shot of Caris mm. strangling Professor Norman, and you get a few glimpses of, of Frank Riker's face. 
and he's really kind of contorted. Um, yeah, that that was genuine. Uh, Cheney was was, I think, had him in a bit of a death grip, literally, and you know that that actually left left marks on on poor Frank Riker's neck, you know, for for the next day or so after. Um, right. Which, yeah. yeah. And not, obviously not intentional. You know, Cheney wouldn't intentionally do that. I mean, these things happen. I mean, in the Wolfman, Clonerings, you know, whacked the crap out of Cheney's head with the, with an actual yeah. cane and, and, you know, injured him. And, you know, <laughs> things just happen. But, um, it's just, it's a little unsettling, but also a little cool to, you know, knowing that. And then if you go back and watch the scene and, and realize that he's truly gasping for air, <laughs> um, the, it's not, yeah. not acting. <laughs> they're, they're, there actually was just a little bit of actual jeopardy on set there with Cheney. Like, and, and, you know, I would, I would almost argue that it's just, you know, Cheney and what was his, his friend would, would frequently just, you know, tear up a place and, and fight each other. And, you know, Cheney was a roughhouser oh, and he was absolutely. a big dude and he was a really strong dude and he was a hard drinking dude. I'm not going to imply that he was drunk at this when he was doing this or anything, but I don't, who knows? Um, and, um, Frank Riker was not a big, tough, strong, rough, no, <laughs> hard fighting man. He was a smaller, older man. So, so I think it would have been very easy for Cheney to to, I just just not know his own strength, which is hilarious if you think about the fact that he played Lenny. Yeah, <laughs> which is yes. basically exactly what the problem with Lenny is. Character in Of Mice and Men is that Lenny doesn't know his own strength, and if you if you get on Nunny's bad side, he can really hurt you without meaning to. It's like, it's like, yeah. it's like getting so, a bear mad at you, right? The bear doesn't have to be trying to hurt you. The better exactly. the bear will absolutely hurt you. And, you know, and um, Cheney was, you know, six, four, he, you know, oh, yeah. well over 200 pounds. And, and he's, yeah. he's a, he was big hands. I big mean, everything, yeah. mm. and he was, like you said, he was very tough. I mean, he spent, you know, years in the, the thirties being a stunt person, you know, and doing right. a bunch of dangerous stuff just to try to, break into the the business so he he was no no stranger to uh to getting knocked around or knocking other people around i yeah, know yeah, uh exactly. peter Coe, who starred with them in the mummy's curse and in house of frankenstein said that they cheney and roger crawford and and company would like to go out to bars and they'd have this thing called the shin kickers club which would be you know if you you come in <laughs> and they're there they'd come up and, and greet you and kick you in the shins as hard as they could and if you if you sold it, you know, in, in, in other words, if, if you like winced or said like, ouch, you know, you acknowledge that you were in intense pain, you had to buy drinks for everybody. <laughs> oh, geez. You just had, <laughs> I mean, so you had to just take it, right? Yeah. So, wow. you know, that's, that's, that's the kind of things he did for fun. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, that sure sounds like fun to me. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I can imagine all these guys have all these calluses all up and down their shins <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> walking around. Um, that's why the mummy limps. Uh, yeah. Um, so Amina has uh we have, we see earlier while the mummy is kind of stalking around he, we see his shadow pass by her window and amina wakes up and without really getting dressed she feels compelled to like leave her house and wander out through the town campus what have you um and she 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 also is drawn by so the implication she's also drawn by the tana leaves because she does have uh ananka's soul has has been reincarnated in her which is why she gets weird, apparently, every time someone mentions Egypt. Um, she sees the mummy leaving after having killed Professor Norman and passes out. And so the next 
so that night or the next morning, whatever, when Professor Norman's body's discovered, the they also discover uh, Amina lying there, uh, very close to the scene of the crime. And of course, she's part Egyptian, so she must be guilty of something. So the police <laughs> grab her. Um, uh, and and they start. I mean, it all, immediately here, it, it, there's there's two things that this this scene kind of sets up for for the rest of the movie, especially for the end, is that one. Karis doesn't know yet. Okay, she, he has no. He yes. does not know who who Mina is, and he does not see her as she she does see him. Right, um, right. He he doesn't. Yeah, get it. That's interesting. And right. and the other thing is almost immediately is you see that she's got now this mark on her wrist, which is kind of in the shape of that whole uh, what's on I guess the the drawing that's on the medallion for the essentially how they found. Princess yeah, Naka's tomb the from the pyramids and the sun and the, yeah. yeah exactly and, and then you know the this the next the morning after scene you know when when they're kind of talking to her in the police station and all that um, you see you know Tom kind of look and notice that she's now kind of got a gray streak in her hair and so you know it, it's like almost immediate that this this I mean not kind of like it's a full starts. on like she's she's yeah exactly like she suddenly has this humongous bright white beautiful like thing and. It's great the moment she looks up and you're and because you as the audience go whoa whoa wait hang on yeah and and again it's like it's like Universal shorthand where they're they're again they're quoting themselves where you see this and you see this white streak in her hair and you're like well I've seen that in Bride of Frankenstein that can't be good like you know something <laughs> uncanny's there like like and there's no explanation for it there's no but but we see as the film goes on obviously we see this progression where more and more of her hair she gets a second skunk stripe going on and then by the end she's almost got white hair um and the idea is the to skip to sort of more towards the end is is i think is that now that this soul in her has been activated this ancient soul it's it's aging her uh more more rapidly and and it it starts aging her more and more rapidly as as time goes on and it's Mm -hmm. the idea that that the the soul of ananka can't escape the curse and now that the soul's in her that curse is taking its toll on her. I, I don't know if I'm retroactively trying to make make logic out of something that <laughs> was just sort of just a, an idea or not, but to me, that's what it, how it works. So I'm just going to go with that. Does that sound good? I, I don't it, know. Yeah, it fits. I mean, it works for me. <laughs> okay. But I just, I love her. I really do love her hair the way it's, it's got this, it almost looks like, um, you know, it almost looks like uh, Gary Oldman's, Dracula's hair at the beginning of the Bram Stoker, <laughs> the, yeah. the, the, the couple of films got these these yeah. two big. It's almost like a, there's like a heart shape to the top of the hair, and then it hangs below and stuff like that. It's just it's unique. I've never seen it any any other movie where someone's hair looks exactly like that, and I think it's a great silhouette um, to the point where I made sure that that was sort of part of the the uh, graphic for Avatar for this episode. I was like, no, 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 we're getting the skunk stripe in there because that's <laughs> having not watched this in a while. That's the one thing I really remember is the girl has like. The Bride of Frankenstein stripe in, stripe in this movie, so yeah, and 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 the big tall ramp funicular thing at the mill at the end of the movie too. That's the other part I really remember. It was like, oh yeah, there's that big tall thing that looks like it was a real pain in the ass for all the actors to walk up and down. Especially, yeah, I think it was left over from a Invisible Man Returns, kind of that that coal shoot. That uh, I was going to make that same connection. Is is there still this? There's again this hint of this verticality. In this, and I don't know if that thing was real somewhere in California, and they, someone was like, "Let's let's have that be our our main set piece for the end of the film." I don't know if that had been built for another movie, like a western or something like that. And they were like, 
hey, this is here, let's incorporate this. Because there's no logic to, again, we're skipping ahead to Act 3, everybody, but there's no logic why that has to be the thing and not something else, right? Not a sawmill with a wheel or not something else. It, yeah. It, it, it's just it's just a thing that's there that they decide. And it, it makes it unique and it's great, but, you know. Okay. Um, uh, right, so so Tom shows up and Tom wants to take uh, her home. His jacket's filthy in this and I'm not sure if that's, a, that's just a weird character thing or if there was a p- plot point that got lost or something like that but i, I noticed well, that when he comes in his jacket's filthy yeah no I mean, when you're when you're when you're 38 and still in college it stands to reason you probably don't have a lot of money to <laughs> starting to get to clumsy with his old clothes, age yeah. I, that's oh okay right i thought you might maybe maybe falls down a lot because he's older now yeah yeah you know i know at 38 right you know you get start start losing all your coordination um yeah hips uh, go out <laughs> um yeah so tom uh tom pushes his way in through the cops and he, he wants to take her away. The cops again are being suspicious and they're not being overly mean to her, but they're like, look, you, we found you unconscious at the scene of a crime. And you know, that this is here. The, the local sheriff is like, you know, we do, you know, you can go, but don't leave town. And you know, the whole bit, um, the town itself is great because the town instantly organizes like a neighborhood watch. Like, well, the mummy's back. So, Everyone, everyone, get together! All uh, we see all these newspapers, and they're like, you know, all these able-bodied men are are requested to to show up and become part of this this you know Mapleton security thing, um, which is very very reminiscent to the draft. I mean, I think it's a I think yes, it's a it very is. a very direct illusion. I think anyone in 1944 would have looked at this and gone, oh, all able-bodied men report for duty. Okay, I, I get what this this is, you know. Um to the point where, you know, it cuts to afterwards and there's a little like secondary characters and they're coming out like, what did you get? He's like, Oh, I got guard duty from three AM to whatever and whatever. And and there's a moment where this these two women are walking away and the older lady looks at the younger lady and says, I remember the last time this happened, it was pretty horrible. Yes. And and you know, you can you you can Follow the logic, and she's talking about the last time the mummy was there. But also, she's old enough that she would remember World War One and the first, the last draft that happened. So you could kind of, I think it, it's one of those nice things. It works both ways, and it's kind of poignant because of what it refers to. I think, I think it's nice, and I think that might have gone either like a chuckle or a tear or a, you know, I, I think that would have evinced a little bit of a reaction to 1944 audiences just yes. a bit. Absolutely. Um, it, it's it's a it's a nice moment. It has nothing to do with the story. It's great. It you know the the plot rather I should say. It just it's just there. Um, Yusuf Bay is in town. Uh, uh, John Carradine is here and he is doing his thing. And John, I mean, of of everybody, maybe with the exclusion of of Zucko, everyone saying these prayers and and incantations to to the you know the the, the to Amun Ra and to Isis. And the, and doing the tan leaf thing and everything like that. Carradine, like we're saying, he just sells it. It sounds so natural coming out of his his mouth. It doesn't sound corny. It doesn't sound anything. You know, it can sound corny if it's not done, whatever. But um, but I love the way he does it. And uh, and and you you buy it despite the fact that he's obviously English and and made up to look a little darker than he normally. Yeah, you can looks. see the makeup on you. Yeah, on him <laughs> I mean, you can almost reflection. see it like sloughing off. Yeah, exactly. It's not really, I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure Jack Pierce was directly involved in John Carradine's makeup 
in this movie. I think he was focused on Cheney Jr. and someone else was splotching color onto John Carradine. But 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 not but again, it's despite that, like like I said, he totally sells it. Um, so I think it doesn't say specifically, but Libby, I, I mean, I think it. The, the the implication is we see a, a full moon now tonight. So the implication is a month has gone by now because there's only one full moon a month, obviously, or 28 days, I should say. Um, and Tom and 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 um, Amina are coming back from I don't know a movie or a play or a show or something like that, and they're laughing. And he's like, I haven't heard you laugh in weeks and stuff. So so you get the feeling like you know obviously what's happened is weighed her down, but now she's starting to finally forget it and and get back to normal life with yeah. her new white stripe in her hair <laughs> um and they're out and, and and peanut is with them uh so maybe they didn't go to a movie because i don't know you can't take your dog to a movie but i don't know um but sh- sure enough as soon as she's kind of like oh you know i am feeling better this is great again we have this the mummy basically just walks right by them while they're kind of about to start making out and that shadow falls on her again so it's like it's like she she almost got back to normal and then it's taken away from her again which is you, you feel bad for her. this nice lady and just you know nothing she can't she can't escape this yeah and, and we'll call out her acting here which which gets a lot of flack and and some rightfully so really? she's she's not the you know she's <laughs> she's not gonna she's not like a lauren bacall or anything but um you know right. she she does a very very good job of you can like sense the cold shiver that she feels as soon as the shadow you know, hits oh yeah, her. and it's just a, yeah, it's a really done, really well shot. It's it's just a really well done scene. Yeah, exactly, and it, yeah, you know, it's just I mean, she's just in camera. It's not elaborately, uh, uh, you know, done with with the with the cinematography. But yeah, she just she just does it, and you can see it, her face fall and everything, and and you can kind of see her struggle. You can see her. She wants to be normal. She wants to have a boyfriend. Who's thirty seven and still going to college, <laughs> but but well, but hey, he's got his own car. Been so drafted, whatever. So her, you know, her choices were limited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's true, right? That's 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 there's possibly something to that, um, you know. Uh, but just this idea that no matter where she goes, the mummy just walks right past her <laughs> and casts a shadow on her is just so frustrating. Like she couldn't be somewhere else; she had to be right there and have the mummy walk right by her. Um, uh, but this time the mummy is reporting for duty for uh, for uh, for his Bay, next mission. <laughs> yes, exactly. Next mission. Should should he choose to accept it? Um, uh, there's a farmer guy who who shows up and and Tom thinks that's what uh, the dog was was barking at, and he's like, "Aren't don't you feel silly?" But the mo- the moment's kind of ruined, and Amina's Amina's Amina. Wait, uh, Amina. Yeah, yeah, Amina. Yeah. Uh, uh, says like, you know, I, I, I like to go home. Okay. So, so <laughs> mommy, mommy, it interrupt uh, us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Blocks <laughs> the, in there. The, the, the cold shower that is the mummy, yeah. um, <laughs> the, uh, strikes again. Um, uh, the, the mummy kind of walks into this farm and, and of course, the, there's a dog on the farm too, and the dog, this dog's barking him too, just like just like Peanut does. And it made me think that there's a there's a funny story about some kind of support group where the Invisible Man and the Mummy are just sitting there talking about how dogs hate them. <laughs> and they're like, I love dogs. Why do yeah. dogs hate us? Right? Like, you know, you get the feeling like, you know, um, it's funny, you know, Cheney being a notable dog lover. I don't know if this dog on set was was his dog, just like the dog in Wolfman. I it does. I I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think this is but, news. But, I, I know sometime around 
either late 43, early 44, Moose was was killed, um, was hit by a car and killed. Um, oh, wow. So I'm, I'm not sure. Nice. I'll have to look. I, it, or maybe one of our It's a very different dogs. looking dog. Because Mo- Mo- Moose was an Alsatian, like a German Shepherd, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is a definitely different. This looks like a Rhodesian Ridgeback or something like that. I don't know if they... Yeah, I think... I want to say Moose had, had passed away. Because I, I think one of the last... I wouldn't be surprised. Kind of behind the scenes shots we see of Cheney and Moose was from Son of Dracula, where Cheney's kind of cleaning his paws. We, we do see a shot of Moose and Cheney when he was in the Mummy's Tomb makeup. But I don't uh-huh. see any... I don't think I've seen anything with... Uh, Cheney and Moose post Son of Dracula, which was in We're going to have to do an episode just on Moose. Here we are. Um, <laughs> it's like what the unsung hero of Universal Films. Um, poor Moose. Oh, uh, uh, so so the the farmer goes in to see what all the dogs barking about, and and we have a great shot. Of the mummy turns and comes right at the camera, and like you're like oh, they, like you get it. You're like you walk in your bar and you turn around and the freaking mummy is coming at you. Like, that's not fair. Like, yeah, and, and this is one of the things that, you know, I was talking about before with how they will shoot Chaney in this compared to the other two Mummy movies he yeah. did. They really accentuated and focused on his size. I mean, so, the, yeah. you know, the guy goes into the barn and you get this shot. It's almost on the ground looking up and Chaney raises, you know, rears up his hand, you know, right. all the way up. And you got, again, a six or four guy, you know, raising his hand all the way up. And, and he, yes. just, he looks massive. He looks huge. And, he, and it, he, lo- he does. He looks scary. terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that effect only kind of partially diminished by casting John Carradine in the, in the role <laughs> of, 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 uh, of, of the priest who's easily as tall as Chaney. And, it, and all their scenes together, it does make the mummy just look a little average, you know? Um, but, Hey, what, I mean, what, again, like I said, what we get out of Carradine is, is so good that, you know, um, yes, uh, the support group, Invisible Man and Mummy, why do, <laughs> why do dogs hate me when I like them? Uh, meetings every Monday at 7 p.m., bring your own donuts. Um, uh, Yusuf infiltrates the Scripps Museum where the body of, of Ananka is 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 kept, the, the, the mummy of Ananka is kept, and um, there was this he does this thing where he he comes as a like a part of like the tour and then stays behind and there was this book that was very popular when i was little called the i think it's called the from the mixed up files of mrs basil e frank wheeler and it was about these two kids who run away from home and stay in the metropolitan museum of art in new york city and they live there for like a month and they just hide in the bathrooms every night at closing and then they go and they they live in a museum, which is, and there's this whole mystery of, of this sculpture by Michelangelo and stuff. It's a really cool book. Anyway, um, I just like the, it's basically the same plot. He just, he just stays after closing time and like yeah. hides. And John Carradine is so skinny that no one notices him. He just kind of, <laughs> yeah. he just kind of like squeeze into a shadow. Right? And nobody saw yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. No one knows him. Um, uh, to the point, yeah, the, the the guard comes in and checks and nobody's there. And then, you know, he just sort of emerges out of the shadow, which, you know, that is that is something I like about this. And I would say maybe does isn't the case of Turhan Bay and is not the case of George Zucko's uh, character, where um, uh, Yusuf Bay himself is kind of scary. Like, you know, he's not, he doesn't really hurt anybody directly or anything like that he is he's sort of the puppet master but he himself is kind of uncanny just just you know in Carradine's 
look and the gauntness and and the voice and stuff like that. He he seems dangerous. He whereas he, whereas Tur- Turin Bay didn't really come off as dangerous. He just came off as kind of you know. Yeah, um, that's a, I didn't thought about that. That's a good a creepy good call dude. out yeah. because you don't get the sense yeah. that he is threatened or would be in any danger by say the townspeople or anybody at the museum. Whereas you know right. George Zuko and Turin Bay, that's how they were brought down. Yes, um, and so bit of music trivia here. Um, the the score piece that restore Q rather that that plays underneath John Carradine uh, or Yusuf Bay, you know, mm-hmm. kind of talking over Princess Zanaka's body. Um, you recognize it if you listen closely. You'll recognize it from the mummy's hand. So at the, the beginning of the mummy's hand, when they're kind of going over the backstory of Karis, they've got this great music of these almost like this this chorus or choir of of uh, men's voices kind of doing these these faux kind of Egyptian chants. Yes, um, yes. And But it, there was no time slash funding for Hans Salter to use voices, so that's why they, they use the <laughs> use the Novacord, uh, essentially a keyboard, to, to kind of replicate that. But that's that's what this Fascinating. that cue uh, kind of originates from. It's, it's a good one. That's really cool. Um, he, something I, I really love is, so there's the security guard at the museum. And while uh, John Carradine's character is doing his whole uh, ritual thing and and uh, Cars is sort of trying to get in the place, he's, he's still stuck outside. And, and for some reason, John Carradine's character is not letting him in. <laughs> um, the, yeah. guard, the guard goes the back, back door, to his... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The guard goes back to his room and he picks up what I always thought was an issue of Detective Comics. And when I I look at it on Blu-ray now, it's not. I think they made it up. It's like Detective Magazine or something or Detective Weekly. It's hard to see the title. Um, I thought it was a Detective Comics, which obviously is the the DC comic where Batman was first premiered. Yes. Um, um, but he's he's I, yeah, I mean, the, this is old guard guy and he's he's reading his Detective Magazine and he's listening to like a, a horror radio. Uh, yeah, that's uh, awesome. Thing sort of like uh, you know, The Shadow or or um Inner Sanctum or something like that, but it's called The Hour of Death in the in the thing and it references both a, it it says the story tonight is about and it references both Dr. X and the Mad Doctor of Market Street. Yes. Is, again, which is universal referencing itself. Referencing itself, right? Doc, Dr. X is universal, right? Yeah. Hmm. Dr. Dr. X was MGM, I thought. Yeah, it is, or, or Paramount, Warner, Warner maybe Warner. Yeah. That's right. It's 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 when um it's when uh, Lionel Owl was at Warner. Yeah, yeah. But they, but, they but did. But uh, Universal did have wasn't forty two uh, the movie Strange Case of Doctor Rx with they Lionel do Strange Case of Doctor Rx with Lionel, yeah, yeah Lionel Atwell, which was not at all really a horror movie or even a Lionel yeah. Atwell movie, but still. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. It's it's on our list of things to do, but I just can't seem to get around to it. I got I need to Take be inspired your time on that at some one. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I know. It's one of those. There's just a few that are like, okay, we'll do them, but um, uh, but yeah, I just like. There's this moment where the you know the guards. He's in his happy place, and and frankly, his happy place is pretty much my happy place. Is reading an old detective magazine and listening to old listening to it. horror yeah. shows. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not at the same time. That seems like it, you have to focus on either one or the other. I'm not sure, but um, uh, I don't smoke a pipe like he does. But except for that, um. Uh, but, um, so they, the, uh, um, Yusuf Bey and, and Karis are doing their ritual and the intent is to resurrect the mummy of 
uh, Ananka, uh, so that I, I guess so they don't have to carry her back to Egypt, right? So that she can like go on her own. <laughs> yes. Whatever. Well, uh, um, so hold on. Um, I think I think the whole thing is to just you know take the body and and. and you know, right. Get on, get on a boat, and then then go back, and then. So th- this is where. Um, stop me if I'm going ahead of what you're going to say, but um, this is where Cheney, I, I think, does some great emoting as as cars that you don't see in mm. the other other films. So you, the way he's very when, when Carradine says, you know, behold, Karis, your beloved princess Anaka, you know, and um, yeah. He, Karis is so. One thing that that Cheney does very well, and it's always overlooked, and and I think it's a big part is him watching his you know his father and being around his his own grandparents growing up. Is right. he does very great at body language and just nonverbal you know emoting, and the way that Karis looks at Ananka and and kind of holds out his hand is so gentle. Yeah. there's no menace Tender, there. Yeah. His shoulders are kind of dropped down. You know, he's not he's not tensed up or anything, and it's just it's sweet almost. It's very yeah. It's, he loses the aggression. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, and then obviously, then Anaka's body just disappears. Disappears. Um, yeah, yeah. And he's quite frustrated. But he's you know he's doing all this unable to move his face. You know, you know Karloff when he's playing Ardith Bay can at least move his face a little bit. I mean, the, the makeup didn't completely freeze his, his, his entire face. Um, what Cheney's working with is, is, is looks really rigid and, and really restricts any kind of emotion that he could convey. Well, first of all, he's, he's only got one eye and you can barely see yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so, so it all has to be body language with him. And again, yeah, you're like, you're saying like working like with his, his famous dad, obviously, and his mom who was also a performer. Um, and then, um, uh, j- j- yeah, j- just just the ability to, because his father, you know, obviously, like, Quasimodo, when he plays Quasimodo, he he, has to, he had very little, launching and Senior had very little ability to, like, move that much and stuff. It was very hard makeup and stuff. So, it's it's just interesting, Cheney Jr. channel, the way he, the way he chose to channel his dad in a way that, that doesn't really remind you, Cheney Jr. does very little that reminds me of Cheney Sr., you know, like, it's not like there's there's any imitation there at all. It's like he just had to find his own way that he did the same thing his dad did, but, but you know, in, again, in his own way. It's really yeah. interesting. But both both suffering under, you know, I, I, can, I can barely wear long pants in Los Angeles. Like, I've become, <laughs> L.A. has turned me into a California cargo short-wearing goth, you know? Um, the idea of wrapping myself in... A, a wool suit like Cheney, Lugosi, Glenn Strange, Karloff all did for playing the, the monster is bad enough. But the idea of being bait again, like literally mummified in linen and bandages and mud and fuller's earth and, you know, latex and, and everything else that, that went on this thing. Just, I, I, and then being under lights and being under, you know, and suffering like, like it's just, it seems awful. It seems yeah. so awful, and, and I just don't. <laughs> and I, you know, I was I was going to bring this up at the end, but I mean, it's a good segue. So his this, I'm not sure about the Mummy's Tomb, but I know for this one and the Mummy's Ghost, or I'm sorry, the Mummy's Curse, 
they were filmed in in August, you know, in California. Yeah, of course so, they are. So because it, of course they are. Yeah, yeah. It, so it's <laughs> it's unbearably hot, and so the the way that the mummy, I guess, costume was, you know, Cheney has has pants, and he's got a very form fitting shirt that had a zipper kind of up the left side. It's up it would, the side, yeah, because you it, see it in that one shot where he's 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 using the camera, right? There's that yeah. famous one where he's like. Directing, yeah, yeah where he's like looking through the camera, yeah, and yeah, so yeah. he's he's in this, and he's he's got his mummy feet, which were kind of described as like real thick socks, and then on top of that, he's wrapped in bandages from the neck all the way down, and then the yeah. bandages are painted, and and then like you said, they got the fuller's earth that's kind of thrown and, and applied on to make him have this dusty effect, which, and then, which is a really clean dirt, everybody, by the way, yeah, and then he's got the mask, and and Cheney, or I'm sorry, Jack Pierce would for this one i'm not sure if he did it for the others but he would glue cheney's mouth to the inside of the mask which would allow some form of movement and and to give cheney something to you know to to move around to give some sort of emoting so you know again dead of august you know you're a guy that's you know six four 200 plus pounds and you know you i mean the the man I cannot. Um, there's a reason that he did not like playing the mummy, and I think yes, this is probably yes. it. <laughs> oh, it would just make me want to punch somebody too. I mean, come on, get it'd be awful. This is this is why I work behind the camera, everybody, <laughs> so I don't have to do this kind of thing. Because inevitably, when you're filming, when when it's really hot, you're going to be your actors are going to be all bundled up in stuff and and sweating. When it's really cold, they're going to be wearing almost nothing. It's just the nature yeah. <laughs> of how filming works. It never it never fails. It never fails. It's hilarious. Um uh uh so yeah, so so something goes wrong and what we realize is that because the soul of Ananka is is moving into the body of 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 this young girl, um they're not going to be able to bring back the the mummified remains of the original Ananka to Egypt and fulfill their mission because that it they're empty. That's just a bunch of bandages now. It's a really it's a really nice moment of you know like the you're not really rooting for the villains, but when they encounter the setback, you're kind of like oh that sucks, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like they're they're yeah, both it- like. Bummer. Carradine just stares at it like there's like a minute where he's staring at it and he can't believe what's happening. He's like, yeah. this sucks. And, and, and this he, is so annoying. He does like a quick pivot. He goes, you know, or, or uh, well, no, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So yeah, you know, Karis, again, Cheney's got a great, you know, moment. He's he's clenching, he raises up his fence and he, he's yeah, no yeah, longer yeah, sweet. Yeah. And, and, uh, right. you know, Yusuf Fay looks down and he says, you know, her, her soul must have taken another form. And, yeah. uh, and uh Karis just loses it and he starts just yeah. wrecking the place and 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 the i think the music does real well here because it's just a real low like the the mm-hmm. kind of the timpani drums you know and, and well there's just all this noise and and just thrashing going on and and that's when the the uh the night the night watchman or the night guard kind of comes out yeah who is yeah. Oscar O'Shea is is who who uh, plays him. So I know we've talked about him a few times before. He was the, uh, the shopkeeper or the pharmacy shopkeeper in the brute man. And uh, then he was the, uh, he was the owner of (laughs) the ranch from, of mice and men. So this is the second time that he and and, uh, Cheney jr. Are are working together. 
Um, probably, although I got to say, I think from the moment Kara starts going all Motley Crue on the, <laughs> the, 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 on the museum, um, all the way to the point where he, the guard tries to shoot him and he pushes the guard through the, the glass and everything. I, it really looks to me like this is a stunt person. I don't know if this is all, if, if any of it, it, I think maybe some of it's Cheney, but I think a lot of it, the, the head and the makeup in some of these shots is drastically different. So either, and I know there are some, there's some speculation about how much stunt work was done on, on some of these films. And I, I do think most of it was Cheney, but um, I wouldn't be surprised that that one stunt where the guard literally turns around and, and shoots him from about a foot away with a blank gun in the stomach. I can't even imagine even in 1944, them, them allowing the start of the film to, to, to do that. That is, that even oh, then they were aware of how dangerous that was. So uh, according to the director um, in later years, it, it was Cheney. So th- this was, so this sequence is <laughs> the second time in the same movie where Cheney kind of inadvertently causes injury this time to himself. So yeah. the, the, the scene was written that, you know, the glass, the big glass window would break. And for whatever reason, they did not, ins- you know, s- someone dropped the ball and didn't install breakaway glass. It was actually a real, pl- real uh, pane of glass. And so they, they weren't, again, they weren't going to wait around for something like that to be fixed. So the, they kind of called an audible and said, well, we just won't, won't, don't break it. And so uh, Cheney, not listening to the direction, broke it anyways. And so that's when you see Oscar O'Shea reach back and grab his head. That, that's Head's real. Head, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And put really, Cheney really put him through a piece of glass. Yeah. And um, then if you look um, as the, the camera kind of comes in on, yeah. on Carson's face as he's strangling him down, you'll see the blood on. I think it's on his wrist and then on his kind of See, coming down I've from his story too. his mouth and his his lip and and which was was actually Cheney doing it and they uh, Reginald LeBorg said that Cheney essentially said I just wanted to show you that I wasn't afraid to do it. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I okay, well then I mean I don't know. I I wonder if maybe did they alter his makeup a little bit because of the 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 stunt work? Did, did, is he wearing more of a mask than a, than an appliance then, or or an application? I don't know. There's something he looks drastically different in this one sequence than he does in the rest of the film. The head, the shape of his head's different. Um, it's 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 squared off instead of rounded. So it the makeup is, is wildly different. So maybe just I, who knows? Maybe there was a day where the makeup just didn't come out the way it normally did, or Cheney worked too long and sweated too much of yeah, it off, or something say, like that. There, it, it there's something the different. Day, you know, yeah, you know, and yeah. He maybe yeah. he rubbed his face a little too much that day. Maybe yeah. Some something's something's definitely different. I don't know, but um, we'll we'll leave it at that. Uh, uh, Amina, in the mid in the midst of the moment where they're trying to bring Ananka back to life, and and her what what's up? Her body just appears, and it's just bandages. Uh, Amina wakes up screaming. Uh, and and I guess the implication is the the soul of Ananka has has fully gone into her now. Um. And, uh, and it's, and, in her, she lives in a house. I think she has a landlady or a guardian or whatever. So, so some of the rules of like how they had to depict how people lived in different places back then still managed to confuse me. There does always seem to be an old lady who lives in the, in the 
building. It's like a caretaker that, or something. Yeah. A caretaker. Yeah, exactly. Or like, or she's basically like the the lady running a boarding house, and the, and all these women always they always live in boarding houses. It's it's the same as um as in what's the other one where someone's living in a boarding house? I can't remember. Oh, it's uh, Captive Wild Woman. Evelyn Anchors yes. or whatever his yeah. characters like living in a boarding house, yeah, and 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 the the the, the landlady is the one who surprises the the gorilla woman and and gets gets killed, yeah. Um, I, maybe that, I think that would might have been a censor thing that said that women had to be young women had to be chaperoned somehow or something. Who the who the heck knows? Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but 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 so so while the there's obviously been a setback for the bad guys. Um, the good guys are no closer to really figuring out what what to do about this mummy situation. Um, Tom is saying, Tom is now full on planning. Like he's like, I need to take Amina out of here. This is he says like she's gonna have a nervous breakdown. This is this is such a bad place for her. It's been a month, you know. Obviously, you know that you know. Th- he's arguing that this, this doesn't make any sense and stuff. So, so he wants to take her to New York. He wants to, he's been talking to his family about this girl that he really likes and he would like to bring her to to them. And, and she, Amina is sort of like, are you sure they'll accept me? Which I I think is sort of, you know, one of the final kind of references to the fact that she's, she's part Egyptian, that she's not fully white in 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 you know in the in the parlance of the of the time is what i'm saying like like are they going to be okay that his his uh the woman he wants to marry is part middle eastern is 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 the implication i think and he's like they're gonna love you they're great you know it's all gonna be <laughs> yeah. great it's awesome which means it um, will not be great <laughs> yeah yeah but, which which means thanksgiving is going to be awkward probably there's going to be the one uncle right there always is <laughs> but um but he's absolutely in love with her and he's you know and he he's uh, to the point where he's he's ready to go in and like argue with the police and stuff in his very dirty jacket again. I think <laughs> I think it's just his. You're right. I think it's just his jacket. He wears this dirty jacket over this very nice clean white shirt. I'm not sure what the the implication is, but it, it's better than the sweater he wears in the entire finale of the film, which he just <laughs> it looks like Mister Rogers is running around. It's just a little oh. like I I would have I would have directed I would have dressed him a little different, but that's okay. That's my just my thing. Um, here we're we're uh. We're introduced to the. Let me look at my notes here a second. Um, we're introduced to the, to Inspector Walgreen um, now, uh, who is Barton McLean again from Maltese Falcon. Uh, he's going to be taking over this investigation from the the older sheriff character, um, uh, because now there's been, you know, mayhem at the museum. Now there's been all of a sudden, like like it's getting out of hand, and obviously it's been a month or two, and there's a mummy on the loose. So someone has decided to call in, like bigger guns to take care of this because yeah. the sheriff seems to be not up to the task well, anymore. three people are dead and then a 3000 year old mummy has gone missing so yeah <laughs> yes yeah ex- exactly to 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 quote um the next film in the cycle the mummy's on the loose and he's dancing with the devil uh, yes <laughs> uh so um uh he uh sort of brings in Dr. Ayed Ayed uh, who's the curator of the museum, and he's also an expert uh, in the film. Uh, he's played by Lester Sharp, who was in The Flying Saucer, as the one film I know him from. Um, he has Dr. I.A. translate the hieroglyphics on an Oculus casket, um, and here we get the whole thing about her soul changing, about her soul leaving the body, about her soul taking over another thing, and and whatever. So, so again, it's this thing that I just always love about Universal. Like, there's this... Uh, 
uh, you know, uh, uh, Doctor Eighty Eight is is basically the the Doctor Van Helsing of of the film. Now he's got the yes. little Van Dyke beard and everything like that. He's 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 this you know curator, and, and he's got sl- a slight accent, and there's something affected about him. Um, and then and then you've got this gumshoe detective, right? There's this just this beat down <laughs> like like inspector guy with this with smoking his cigarettes with this fedora and everything. He's like, and the best he's he's got a line where. Sounds like a lot of applesauce to me is his response to to all this stuff about <laughs> yeah. souls and and things. Which again, it's it's the supernatural baloney line from Black Cat. There's always yes. this reference to <laughs> it's always reference food for some reason. Um, I guess baloney applesauce would go together anyway. All right. Um, uh, so yeah, the inspector's uh, Walgreens taking over from the sheriff, and he's going to start calling the shots. And and the sheriff, the sheriff like has a plan, I guess that seemingly hasn't been working so he's gonna you know sort of whatever um they're back at the the doctors at the professor uh professor's house they're inspecting the whole setup that where the inspector was or the inspector the professor was brewing the tannin leaves dr ayade figures out from the notes that the professor figured out the translation and he's kind of excited about it because like he's it's it's like you know we've been trying to figure this out and here a professor turns out the professor figured it out so they're gonna do what the professor did their plan is they're gonna do the tantalief thing they're gonna summon the mummy and they're gonna set a trap for him they're gonna basically dig a pit and see if the mummy will fall into it but but i like their logic he's like well you can't shoot it. it. It doesn't seem to have any effect. So let's trap it in a pit and then figure out what to do with it. It's yeah. not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. But, and like, it, he's, like he's a wild boar or something. Like that's the yeah. idea, right? You do that and then, <laughs> then you just poke him with some sticks or something and try and see what happens. Throw a rock at it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you could, you could, you know, douse him in gasoline. You could try some things. It, it's, it, conceivably, if the, if the mummy had fallen into that, that trap that probably would have worked. It was, it's a good idea. It just doesn't seem to work out, but this, the film spends a little bit of real estate on this idea that never pans out. It's interesting. Oh, well. Um, and I'm not, I am not dissing the film. I'm having fun by the way. Everybody like just, I, someone, someone mentioned that it sounded like I was being kind of critical of Nosferatu when we did the Nosferatu episode. And I really don't mean to be doing that. I, I love this film and I love all these films. I, I enjoy trying to figure out the, the i the what the filmmakers were going for and it's fun trying to see like what worked and what kind of didn't and also just what becomes interesting or or a little amusing over the passage of of decades since yeah. the films were made and stuff There's, this is in i in no way am trying to like insult the the talents that, that made these films because they're they're all wonderful in their own way so there's my caveat we'll, we'll put a little asterisk right next to that <laughs> um uh, so here we're finally going to get to see this barn thing with the ramp and the funicular thing we mentioned earlier. And this is where uh, uh, Yusuf Bey has decided to, uh, uh, you know, take refuge or, or what have you. And and where um, their plan is there. So so while the good guys are going to do their ceremony tonight on the full moon and summon Karis, the Yusuf Bey is going to perform the same ceremony and power up chorus and and have him go and and try and and get are they gonna have him go or they're are they trying to do the ceremony to try and attract uh, uh ananka so they're i'm essentially vague. yeah so carradine or i'm sorry i keep calling him by the actor's name yeah use yeah. of bay is uh 
is basically doesn't know what to do and is praying to the gods, you know, the Egyptian gods for guidance. And, it, and you know, that's what he's saying. He says, uh, please, you know, give me a sign so that we may complete our, you know, our quest and, and return. And, right. our and then that's when, as he's kind of, you know, he's got his, and Carradine does a great job of this, of kind of what you said, you know, s- stuff that really can seem corny and honestly is, is written a bit uh, corny it, the way he, yeah takes it seriously enough and delivers it, it does not come off that way. And so, you in, know, in, in, a, in a very are, Lugosi way, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, his eyes are closed and he's, he's kind of got his head upwards. And as he's saying this prayer, you know, the, the, the wood shutters just blow open and, you know, you see the, the light coming in, which I'm assuming is the moon. Um, and he kind of comes mm. in and illuminates his, his medallion about the priests of Karnak or, Arkham in this case, um, and yes. then he, then he kind of looks and he says, "It's the light, it's the sign," and it is. But he is vague as far as what that means to Karis. He he just says, "You know, go." You know, the he, I think he just yeah. he, he says, "You know, the light will guide you. Follow, you know, follow the light, follow the sign." Okay, and uh, and Karis apparently knows what that means, and and you see him kind of going down this very long. <laughs> Which and this this is the part where maybe it was a stunt person as opposed to Cheney because I mean some of the long shots and I, I don't know if that was at this scene or later on uh, towards yeah. the end but you know you see the movie all the way up at the top of this big long ramp and it's like that is that is dangerous <laughs> when you're that that's really dangerous especially when you're you know handicapped by all the makeup and all the, you know, his arms kind of stuck and and so the balance is off and and everything and and you know, maybe they needed someone sober. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but, but yeah, uh, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be something I'd want my actor to, my lead actor to do if he didn't have to, uh, uh, more than, more than any times he, he needed to on the film. Cause I, the, the very real risk of, again, and, and, and this is what you run into his films is like, you know, Yes, every once in a while a tragedy happens and and they're they're awful. But overall, like the vast majority of issues that happen on film are people tripping over stuff, people falling, you know, tripping over a a, a dolly track or people just you know stumbling and everything. Because you know it it's there's lights in your face and everything like that. It's it's the dumb mundane things that end up uh, uh, messing you up and things. So so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that was just. I also wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that is second unit stuff too. If they just, you know, could yeah. have been filming some some wide shots like that while they're, the guys were filming. Because, again, these things are made on such a tight schedule that, yeah, if you can have someone in just a, a simpler costume in a wide shot doing all that that junk and then save Cheney's time and energy for something that's more important, then, of course, I would do that. Um, who knows? Um, so, right. So, so, regardless of, you know the intent so 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 yeah the the mummy's on the loose again uh coming for them and there's a great moment where you know the, the film's messing with this and it makes us think that the cars is is headed towards where they're doing the tana leaf experiment in the in the professor's house but then we see that he, he basically does a 180 as soon as he figures out so i th- i think what happens is that the tana leaf experiment in the professor's house wakes up um Amina, and then and and attracts her. So I so I think so so as soon as she's awake, 
Kara senses her, so that's what he he zeroes in on. So, in a way, the 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 cops' plan with the Tannelies totally backfires. Yeah, so it's this is one of my favorite shots in the movie, and and that there's a lot of things going on at once, and this is part of what was kind of set up at the very beginning uh, when you see that Amina sees Karis, but Karis does not see her. Um, so Karis is is doing what he's told, and he's. Uh, like a good agent, and he's yes. you know fo- following the sign and kind of following the the light, and right. And this is the only time I, I think the only time in the entire four cars films where he, he senses and he smells the tan leaves because as he's walking he stops mm-hmm. and he looks back you know because he but then he turns and keeps going to what what he's doing so he's oh okay right he's he's, he's on his mission and um, yeah Amina's. I think pretty unsettled as she, as she goes to bed, but as Karis is getting closer, she just kind of wakes up, and you know it, it's exactly like it was at the first. You know, you can tell it's not her, and so she she yeah. gets out of bed and she just starts this slow walk, and then there's this great shot where they're they're walking you know diagonally towards this this corner you know at each other, and then they finally see each other, and she faints, and Karis realizes this is Anaka. And you know, picks her up and yeah. then, then takes her away. It, it it's like for every very cinematic angle shot of the mummy that that really like creates like dread and everything interesting. There's sometimes just these mundane shots of the mummy just walking through a yard that, in their own way, have a little bit of creepiness too. Because it's just like it almost just like you were there, like you're just filming, and like there's a mummy walking across the thing. It's like a little bit like found footage or something like that. There's there's something a little uncanny about that too. I always think I think it's interesting. Um, I saw that same thing almost happen one time with Jake Busey and a Golden Eagle on the set on 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 a backlot one time where he he Jake, I was on a show and Jake Busey was coming around one corner of a of a soundstage and someone with a trained Golden Eagle like a full size three and a half foot tall eagle came around the other side and they ran into each other and the eagle freaked out and Jake Busey was quite <laughs> surprised anyway not for nothing just saying um, Jake Busey would play a great mummy what am I man I just thought of that. He would have been, especially back in the day, like like Starship Troopers era. That guy would have been great. Um, he's great in uh, the Frighteners. Anyway, um, it's late, everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna go tangenting. Um, uh, so so now, yeah, again, everything's backfired. Karis has has Amina, and the the detect the. Uh, police officer's trap almost captures Amina's landlady instead of instead of a mummy. Yeah. <laughs> she comes very close to falling into this thing and they manage to stop her. But um she tells them like, oh you know, he's he's doing it. And then I, I she it's hard for me to understand what she says, but I think she she sort of says he's on his way to someplace. And I think that the 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 place she describes is is this storehouse with the elevator thing that we see in the thing, because the cops, because the, the police know to get the posse together and they know where they're going. Right. That in general, like, like she, whatever she tells them to do, they're like, Oh, we, we got to go this way. And, and they, they're at least have on the right trail. Um, this is where peanut really comes into play here, man. Cause peanut is peanut. Uh, peanut was left by Tom to, to keep an eye on, um, uh, on Amina, and while he cannot obviously protect her from a six foot four mummy, 
because <laughs> he's just a little tiny dog. Um, he does bark at him a little bit, and then he follows them. Uh, he, you know, he he takes his job seriously, and he follows the mummy as the mummy carries uh, Amina, uh, you know, you know, away and over over a bridge and stuff, and into a gully. And that that by the way, this landscape looks absolutely like Massachusetts, and not the slightest <laughs> bit like Southern California. Um, Honest to God, this is the reason why Scott uh, can no longer be part of the show. He's he's trapped currently in a in the Massachusetts in a, in a gully. gully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the by a monster um yeah so but but um that's it so so, and then the landlady is also called tom and so tom knows that 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 uh i mean has been taking so he really quick you know puts on his his little sweater vest or whatever and (laughs) because it's cold outside and uh and does it this is the scene this is what i was talking about i I, earlier I, i mistook Karis is walking across the bridge with Amina in his arms, and the guys are brewing the tannin leaves. Now, now it's like the the cops are brewing the tannin leaves. I'm sorry, guys. Oh yes, yeah, you're right. Mixed up. You're right. And this is the moment where Karis he turns around and he almost. There, Cheney does this nice moment where there's almost this moment where he's like, "Huh," and then he's like, "Now on he's on the mission." Like he, uh, he's he's showing that he's he's not completely at the mercy of the tannin leaf right like it's it's like he's got he's he's got a little mastery over his own addiction shall we say um huh, yeah and he's going to he's going to fulfill the task at hand and not whatever um uh amina obviously was sleeping in this in this like white silky nightgown and when she she comes out uh under under the spell she doesn't put her shoes on so she's barefoot and she just has this um white nightgown that, that looks very shroud like and obviously the the white nightgown is a whole uh yeah, idiom actually, that, that is quite quite used used quite a bit in horror all the way from yeah, here to I, all the way up into the hammer films and present day and everything right yeah but it really works here right it's really nice it is and, and it's, it, it, it makes know, them kind of similar yeah and it, it i i think it's the same uh nightgown that that peggy moran wore in the mummy's hand when she is oh, wow. you know about to be you know sacrificed by George Zuko but or made immortal rather but i will say and this is purely from a uh, a you know 38 year old male point of view that um <laughs> uh, seeing her you know quite obviously wearing not much underneath the nightgown is <laughs> is a very nice sight too uh, it's a this, bonus she's... for this movie for me <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's. I mean, she looks fantastic. And then uh, there's the white, you know. And, and so now, because she was sleeping, I guess, and, and for everything else, her hair, which has been up the entire time, is now down. And and so she, you know, she has these long curls, dark curls hanging down over the white. But there's the the white stripe in it. And now, pretty soon, there's going to be a second white stripe and everything. So it's it's neat how that uh, how her look evolves. I just think, aside from just being dressed as a lady, as a heroine by Vera West in, in this film, um, her her wardrobe and her hairstyle and everything really goes to her character and, and, and it helps tell the story more than a lot of other films then and now, I mean, whatever, um, you know, um, and that, that's just good design work. Uh, we have the thing obviously where, where Karis's arm, which is bandaged and, and held to his chest at all times does sort of magically become kind of mobile when he ever, he's, he's carrying, a woman, which 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 the mummy does spend quite a lot of time doing in in all these uh, in all these cars yeah. films, whether it's Tom Tyler or or uh, or, or Lon Chaney Jr. Um, but 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 it's one of the things where like I never quite notice it until like I'm really thinking about it. Like they they really have a way of suggesting like he just it's like it's like 
it's like he can't do much with that arm, but but he could at least bend it out enough that it would support a hundred pound woman, I guess. You know, so so there you go. It's not like he suddenly becomes like super ambidextrous or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he's still and he's still and he's still dragging his leg and stuff. You know, it's really something. Um, I've talked at length about when I've been on set and I've if I've been in front of the camera in my rare moments and and what it's like to carry a hundred pound person of just dead weight in your arms. Um, yeah, I'm obviously not, not nearly the size of Lon Chaney Jr. So, so I think he probably had a slightly, he's also younger than me at this than I am now. But I, so I think he had an easier time of doing it, but it is still not easy. And again, as you said, Livio, August, Southern California, completely wrapped in bandages. One eye is blind and, and, you know, he's doing this thing. So, so there's, there's, it, yeah. It's what they call Ch- an earned his pay on this movie, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say like Ch- Cheney earned his pay in this movie. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely say that. he, and and so, so he really wasn't. I did want to touch on this just a little bit, Livius. So you probably know more about this. Like, I don't. Doesn't seem he he didn't find playing the mummy that rewarding a a role. I don't think in in the three times he did it. Uh, it seems right. No, he 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 despised it. He he absolutely hated. He, oh, it. Just, so so he full on despised it. Okay, yeah. interesting. And, and just for for it, the makeup and you know and the heat, you know he he's yeah. I think actually I think it was this movie because um, I, I was I was doing a little reading up on it today, but um, where a, a publicist publicist from Universal had had come in and talked to him, and he he kind of you know <laughs> let it all out. You know he's, he says you know I I sweat, I can't wipe it away, I I can't you know I can't do yeah. anything, and I, I you know all I can do is take off the the hands or the or the mask, and then I put it right back on, and it's it's so hot. And you know, there's like yeah. no no breathing room, it's, and, and it's, that's got to be hideous. Yeah, and it's and I'm sure it's tight too. It's corseted a little bit, I think. So just even like breathing and everything and getting a good breath is probably hard and stuff like that. And and like I don't mean to make light of, of any of of, of uh, Cheney's addiction issues that he struggled with because those are serious things. But I'll just say like at the end of a day like this, dude, I would want to have a few beers because wow, that <laughs> yeah. would just that would that would go down really nicely. That would suck. And, and um, what's what's interesting too is. Is I, I don't know so much Karloff, but Christopher Lee uh, certainly echoed um, Cheney's displeasure oh, okay. with playing playing a mummy. You know, when he, guy, when he played I, the mummy, yeah, yeah, and he even said, you know, I, it, I remember watching an interview with Christopher Lee, and he, he's talking about the the injuries he sustained and how difficult it was for him to do anything wrapped up in the mummy. And he at the very end, you know, when he's, he's talking about, it, he goes. I can see why this was not Lon Chaney's favorite role. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I, I'll, I'll bet. I'll bet that's interesting. Um, he only did, he did the one time, right? He did it. Yeah, yeah. Just in the curse or whatever. He, yeah, the hammer films. Just, I don't know the hammer films the very well. Everybody. Is. I think. Yeah, I think that one was right. just called the Mummy. I, he wasn't in the Mummy. The sequel, whatever uh, the sequel was yeah, called, I right? But he wasn't in that one. Yeah, Kurt, yeah, the Mummy. Yeah, exactly that one. Um, uh, I don't. Yeah, I really. I I like the Hammer films. I've seen them. I don't know them very well at all, which has just been made clear when I posted about the premiere of Christopher Lee's Dracula, and I noticed that it doesn't say horror up, and everyone on Instagram was like, "Well, that's because it was called only when it came to America." I was like, okay, <laughs> which I appreciate. Thank, thanks, everyone. I I will will fully admit, I I there's not a heck of a lot I know about those films. I think they're great. I just there's only again there's only so much room up here, guys, um, and it's all filled <laughs> with Universal crap. Um, uh, again, uh, Tom, Tom is, is ch- chasing down whatever, and here comes Peanut, uh, 
you know, help help save in the day. Um, it's it almost it turns into a little bit of a lassie movie. It's really funny, like to be stuck down a well, like like Amina's <laughs> with the mummy, you know, in a gully. Like, come yeah. On. like yeah, come on. Um, he's a hero, and and there's a moment even where um chris or uh, uh john carradine's character says something about like you know this is going to happen and this is the will of amon ra and and the next thing we see is peanut barking and and helping to save the day so peanut does not care about the will of amon ra peanut is going to do what he's going to do he's, he's a very sacrilegious dog yeah <laughs> yes he is he does not does not have any respect for this but he just wants his person to be okay um i love it uh we we're getting into the end here and and so, you know, uh, Cars has brought Amina all the way up here. And now we see, like, she's got a second stripe in her hair now. And she's laying prone on things. She, you know, poor, the poor actress, you know, really, you know, um, Ramsey Adams spends about the next 10 minutes just laying on a slab here tied up um, with these with these two guys kind of arguing over her. Um, because inevitably when, when, uh, uh, when, when, um, sorry, when Yusuf Bey, finally sees her because keep in mind he has not seen her he has he has not seen amina before ever he just knows that there's some lady out there that is you know the reincarnation of of ananka um when he finally sees her and he sees how beautiful she is um (laughs) yeah he falls into that that trap that that all the high priests of karnak slash arkham fall into where egyptian high priests are very sexually frustrated Yes, yes, it's it seems it seems so. It seems like this is sort of a rampant <laughs> problem in in their priesthood, uh, similar similar to other priesthoods. Um, uh, but but their their loftier tasks and 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 the things they've sworn to uphold always fall by the wayside, and their carnal desires kind of take over, and and they begin to just care about themselves and stuff, and and and. I think the thing that lurks underneath that whole thing is that it's kind of what the professor was saying earlier in the film is, is that these guys have the secret to immortality at their fingertips. Yes. And they are tasked to use it only to keep this walking bunch of bandages, this, this like, this like animated corpse moving around that can't talk, that can't have a conversation with them, that can't, you know, whatever. Um, and then, and then they they suddenly are next to this, this, these beautiful women in these white nightgowns that they're inevitably wearing, and 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 suddenly all they can think about is what it would be like to spend an an eternity with someone so beautiful. And so, in a way, you get it, right? I mean, it's I don't know I don't know if the priests of Karnak have sworn themselves to celibacy. I think the implication is maybe they have, um, but you can see how you know, a 40-year-old man now is going like, hang on, let's rethink this whole plan just a second here. <laughs> and I, I Wait a say, minute. John Carradine, out, out of the, the three that this happens to, so which is the, the you know, yeah. George Zuko, Zuko. Bay, and uh, and um, <clears throat> and now John Carradine, it, Carradine really, really shows the kind of the struggle, I think, right. more, the switch. way more yeah. than, than, than the other two. So, you know, with Zuko, he he sees Peggy Moran kind of in the first movie, and you get the sense right away. He's like, oh, I like you. And then, you know, kind it of- goes, same, It goes very pervy, very fast. Yeah, yeah. same thing with Turin yeah. Bay, who, you know, is lurking in the bushes, yeah. you know, very voyeur-like, while, <laughs> while yeah, at least yes. Knox is, you know, just doing whatever. And with this one, 
you know, he he is trying his hardest. John Carradine, or, I'm sorry, Yusuf Bey is trying his hardest to carry out his mission. And you kind of yes. hear his own inner monologue, you know, saying you've done right, well for right. Yusuf Bey. You know, take yourself this this opportunity, yes. you know, do you it. You deserve and, this, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he's um, like, no, I can't. The, and, yeah, this war between the spiritual and the venal in him yeah. is, is given a voice. Like, suddenly out of nowhere, which is interesting, an interesting choice in the film, like, we, we suddenly hear his inner monologue suddenly. Uh, yeah. In this in this basic voiceover, and I don't know if that was a latter solution to maybe a worry that things weren't totally clear or or what, but I think it works really well, and and I think works really well mostly because John Carradine's doing it, um, and not a lesser actor of some kind. Um, he totally sells it. I just I'm sorry, I just saw the scene where Tom is running down the hill to to find her, and then he just falls and rolls for a second, and he gets back up and runs again, and it just that's why his jacket's dry. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. Nobody's wearing a sweater now. Doesn't make it no. Um, there's just this. I don't know why that's. I I remember that every time I watch this, it's just funny. He just falls and he's like, oh, "I'm okay." And he run, it's like a little kid falling and getting up and rolling. It's just it's just really funny. Um, but I, I will uh, point I mean, out. I, I, I think the the whole uh, hearing the inner monologue. So um, there's so this has been debated. This is slightly off topic, but I mentioned it because it's the same director of Reginald LeBorg, uh in in some of the I think the earlier Inner Sanctum movies, uh, mm. there there are these these somewhat longer uh, or played out scenes where yes. Cheney is doing an inner monologue and and he's, yes. he says a lot and and some of the I quote I for I'm going to call them fan theories was oh they had to do that because Cheney could memorize you know all those words or something right. and you know that that's not the case it was it was done by design you know and I think the same thing happens here you know you just the same director is kind of using the same technique where uh, yeah. he, you know he, he's anticipating using John Carradine hearing his own voiceover and then reacting to it so yeah I don't know if it was a riff tracks or something I heard where some someone someone at some point made the joke that Inner Sanctum should have been called Inner Monologue. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but, or maybe that was me. I don't know. Never mind. Anyway, um, uh, Amina has woken up and realized that here she is tied very loosely to to a table, um, and and the first thing she sees is 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 Yusuf Bay, and she has this whole conversation. He explains to her what's happening, and and. She seems generally alarmed and, you know, not happy with that. And then she, there's this moment where she turns and then she sees the mummies there. And the, and I I think the actress has just a great moment here where she's like, well, this this is just really bad now. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> like I've been kidnapped. That's really bad. Hang on, the, the mummy's here. And now it's really bad because obviously she knows the mummy and she knows who the mummy is. Like, she's lived in this town. The, the entire... I, I'm just obsessed with this entire town in Massachusetts that has like this whole history with a mummy. And and somehow like there's no there's no tourist industry that sprung up about it like there would be if it, if there was a Bigfoot there or something like that. It's just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and it seems to have made bigger newspapers so people know about this this town that just in, in Massachusetts it has a mummy problem. It's it's a recurring mummy problem. It's funny. A recurring mummy, mummy problem. That's right. Yeah. Every couple of years, this freaking mummy shows up again. Except for somehow, wait, in the next film, he somehow ends up in New Orleans, right? Yeah, he's in the bayou. 30 right. years, 30 right. years we, after we, this, we, so it would have been in we the We go from a lake to a bayou. The 70s, right, yeah. Uh, which, which I can't, we'll have to, we'll have to, that's right, we're going to have to, uh, <laughs> I can't wait to talk about that one and finish out this cycle. This is fun. Um, uh, 
so yeah, so so again, the inner monologue, the struggle with with Carradine and stuff, and you know, you know, I mean, this obviously was not an afterthought because there are these long shots of Carradine just standing there, not doing anything. So, and he and he's and he's actually having, he's having a conversation with his inner dialogue, like the, his inside voice says something, and then he tends to answer it out loud. Yeah. So, so this was there's no way this wasn't the plan. This was ever you know uh, this is what they decided to do. Um, uh. But this is that this is that moment where he he definitely says I I, I I'm pretty sure his lips say Karnak and then we we've changed it to Arkham so yeah that that's just that's fascinating so someone someone decided that was the way to go and and it was the way to go enough that yeah they they went back and they fixed some things um I mean his hair is now pure white uh, like a, almost it, it I mean it, it it it's supposed to be white in in black and white it's hard to tell if it's white or platinum blonde so suddenly she kind of looks like a a little bit of a rocket or something now. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but it's an interesting look, and especially the idea that that she's part Egyptian, so now she has this pure white hair, um, uh, contrasting against you know her skin. Um, but I guess that can only that only tells Yusuf Bey that time is running out. That this is you know he either needs to do this or or this curse is going to you know take over her. Um, Tom is. It takes Tom a while to get to this place, and it takes the the posse even longer. They they're walking. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of urgency with the posse. <laughs> probably because they're, they've tried this once ca- before. They're being cautious, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we've tried this yeah, one before. The mummy We're again. not sure what to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. They're going to go find the mummy, but you're right. They're not exactly sure what they're going to do when they reach when they get they get to the mummy. Um. Uh. So as usual. Peanut uh, comes to the rescue, um, uh, and 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 brings Tom here. Um, the mummy, uh, Karis, I guess has been outside during this whole inner monologue scene, and it comes in just in time to to sort of figure out, yeah, uh, to hear uh, what what yeah what 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 uh, Yusuf Bey is 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 planning on doing, and he's. He's pissed. It's it's very similar <laughs> to the to, yeah it's it's similar to the first. It it's similar to Mummy's tomb, right? Where yes. where he turns on him and is like, because Karis Karis betrayed the the trust of the gods, and this is what his punishment is. But but in doing that, in in now that he upholds the the laws and the the wills of 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 Amun Ra and, and and Isis and everything, um, anyone who who blasphemes against them very quickly finds themselves you know in in his clutches it's interesting like the turn of the character like there's so little to work with with the mummy both both thematically and because you know he's not going to cry if he's sad and he's not going to be happy if he, you know what i mean he's got a yeah. he's got a pretty narrow emotional curve um it's always really interesting what they do with him and and how much they get out of this character considering those limitations i think Yes, I, I I agree, and and I think I brought this up when we talked about the mummy's tomb. Um, if you watch, even if you just watch these scenes in the mummy's tomb, uh, this one, the mummy's ghost, and then the mummy's curse, Karis gets increasingly less patient with these high priests as mm-hmm. these movies go on. So, um, right, you know, the mummy, mummy's tomb, you know, Mohammed um, Bey says, "I'm going to take this this woman as." as as mine and um Karis kind of actually turns 
like to grab him and, and, you know, Mehmet Bey says, no, don't, you need to go. And then Karis backs down. Here, yeah, you know, Karis has spent half the movie in agony over almost yeah. having his princess and then being taken away. And then he yes. hears this again and he's like, oh, no. <laughs> he, no, no, right, right. You're right. Right from the start. Like, nope, we're, we're, we're cutting this out right now. Yeah. And then I was in The Mummy's Curse. I mean, the, the, it's like almost right from the start. Karis does not like uh, – you know, Martin Koslek is <laughs> Martin Koslek's character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's also, uh, you're, I mean, that's the other thing I kind of didn't mention. The, I mean, there's this idea that, you know, Karis loves Ananka. So the minute this priest is like, I'm going to, you know, this guy who's not a withered mummy is like, I'm going to be Ananka's boyfriend now. Yeah. Karis is like, no, wait, hang on a second. I've spent thousands of years. Yeah you know, in torment because of my love for this, this person, you're not going to just sweep in and yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, you can, you can, you can get behind the mummy in this one. I mean, I mean, I can get them behind the mummy in the whole series. Like, look, like he's, he's tormented and he's been tortured for all these years and stuff. Like you can see why he's irate and aggressive and sometimes, you know, throws people off balconies. And stuff. <laughs> this is kind of what happens here. He's probably the- hot, you know? <laughs> Yeah, he's just really hot. <laughs> he's just really hot the whole time. <laughs> so it's really hot. His bandages. Um uh I I do like uh Carradine has this one line where he's he's justifying bringing her back in before he he gets tossed out a window here and he says uh we are thousands of miles away from the tombs of Arkham and she is thousands she's thousands of years away from her sin. So he, you know, he has this idea too that like she should be forgiven for whatever she does. And and in all honesty, you know, hooking up with someone you weren't supposed to does not seem like it should come with a 3,000-year penalty either <laughs> oh, to yeah. me either. So that's it seems a little excessive. I mean, now maybe you, it was the third strike, but right that, no, now no. you know why those uh, Egyptian high priests were so sexually frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? This, the punishment was pretty strict. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so... so uh, uh, Yusuf Bey gets uh, smacked upside the head and goes out the window and falls. Tom Karate chops, yeah. There. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, Judah, uh, um, Tom gets there just in time to to see him, whatever. Uh, the mummy is now rampaging, and Tom's going to come up the the uh, the ramp thing. I'm going to call it a funicular, because I'm from Pittsburgh, and, there was, and, a, and a rail car that goes up and down an inclined thing is called a funicular railway. I just know that because we have an incline in Pittsburgh, so there we go. Um, the mummies, I love the scene. The mummies like slowly coming down at him, and, and Tom's going to go up and fight him, and he stops, and he's like, hang on, and he picks up a stick, because he's like, I'm not, I'm not going at this guy barehanded, <laughs> which is smart. He's like, I'm going to you know find something here to, to use on this guy. But unfortunately, he gets I'll just say he gets David Mannered pretty quick, right? I mean, yes. The, the mummy just—it's not even like there's a fight. The mummy just sort of smacks him. Um, you know, it's okay. Um, and and in, in any um, <laughs> any Star Wars fan will understand the fact that you know the mummy does have the high ground here. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Tom, Tom is at, in in all fairness, Tom is at a disadvantage. Um, so he gets back down. The uh the search party is coming at a nice leisurely pace i feel like the actor playing the sheriff maybe couldn't he looks like he's struggling when he walks i wonder if he couldn't walk that fast and everyone had to kind of keep up or keep pace at least with him um but it's very much like it you know there's different parties too and they meet up at at a crossroads so it's very much like the end of frankenstein where they're like you take the, the lake and i'll take the whatever um 
Uh, and but inevitably, you know, Tom's unconscious. So who who comes to the rescue? Little Peanut. <laughs> I almost called him the wrong name too. <laughs> that would have been bad. It would have been. Um, yeah, Little Peanut uh, uh, <laughs> comes and 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 leads the guys uh, to to this to this uh, mill thing. They find Tom. They're trying to revive Tom. Um, meanwhile, the mummy. The mummy sort of takes Amina and 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 picks her up and and sort of uh, sneaks down like the backside of the, the place, which is yeah, all like these guys are running around and the mummy's just down creeping the, right behind yeah. them. Yeah, it's really um, there's some there's definitely some dummy shots here of the 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 the, the, the stand in for Amina because I. I don't care how strong you are. I don't think you're carrying <laughs> no <laughs> a, a real woman down down a down a ladder with one arm on. That's really dangerous and hard, and and there's no reason why you should anyone should should do that in a film. Um, uh, but but so the guys all run up to to see the thing, and meanwhile I love the shot. That meanwhile the mummy's in the background just slowly crawling down the ladder, like do to do. Like he's not even really trying to get a, to like be secret. He's just. You know, it's the mummy, so he's just moving quietly because he's kind of quiet. And he's just, you know, um, again, again, Amina with with her hair pure white at this point. Um, uh, and so this is the we're we're in the finale. Tom kind of wakes up, and there's this kind of long extended chase where the guys are following. You know, they're running. It's this thing we're talking about. It's like they're running, and the mummy's just walking, and yet the mummy seems to keep outpacing them. Um, uh, and and sort of we have this transition where the, where he's there's a swamp now <laughs> i don't know how to say it it's yeah it, it, there's suddenly a swamp i don't in know in massachusetts yeah i mean it's in massachusetts it, where we were just sort of in the desert a little bit but it's it's just hey man you know um it's what it is uh but it it it's interesting so so yeah i mean but we set up where the guys are chasing and tom falls in the mud cuz tom falls down a lot because uh, he's you know thirty eight and still hasn't graduated still college. in college yeah <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, he hasn't taken avoiding mud puddles uh, uh, electives yet um, uh, and then and by the time they get to and and we have these great I I do I love these every once in a while while the mummy's carrying Amina we have these inserts and you suddenly see like her hand her arm is getting all wrinkled and withered yeah it cuts to her bare feet and they're getting old looking too and her her face is getting old. Um, so the the curse of uh, Ananka is is taking over Amina's body to the point where they finally get to the to the the lake slash swamp slash whatever, and and the mummy carries her in there. And as you're seeing her face, her face is ancient and withered looking. And then Tom finally catching catching up to them finally sees her face too, and he kind of oh he covers his eyes. I mean it yeah. was it's awful. I mean it's so bad. It's like seeing you know the person you love rotting away in front of you. It's terrible. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a very unique and interesting way to to end this one. It's, it's one of the the standouts yeah. of of this one compared to the other three. Is that right. you know there is no happy ending with you know the girl being rescued and you know you know the there, the the hero and heroine yeah. living happily ever after. I mean, right, right. This is it. You know, the, he there's not there's not even like a, a pyrrhic victory or, or anything. It's not like, well, we killed the mummy, but this happened. The, the mummy just basically walks into the a lake and disappears and takes his girl with him, who who is ancient already and and, and easily, you know, probably dying anyway. 
and that's it. And the movie ends. So it really ends on a downer, which I really respect. I love it. I mean, you know, so many oh, times yeah. these movies do sort of really twist your arm a little bit to like make it a make it some kind of happy ending at the end, and it can come off a little forced. Uh, this one doesn't bother with that man. They just and, they just go for this. And now, the very, they must have known there's another sequel coming at this point, though. I well, because it's, it's, it's made the same year. It comes out the same year. They must have been going right into doing the sequel. Yeah. So I know uh, Reginald Laborg had said he's the one that suggested, "Hey, why do we have to have the girl, you know, live? You know, why can't we, you know, we'll just kill her off?" And someone had actually said, "Well, no, because we, we're probably we may want to do a sequel." And mm-hmm. his response to that was, well, the mummy always comes back up, but nobody cares about, you know, Ananka. She can just, you know, she can die. Yeah. Of course, the, the, they both end up coming back, but, um, they both yeah, end up no, coming back it, in the next film. Yeah. And this, the, the music here, so, um, is actually lifted from the original Wolfman. Um, Wolfman, yeah. And the way that it's played, and then you hear kind of this echoey George Zuko, you know, reciting again, you know, for who shall right. defile the temples of the ancient gods shall be a cruel and violent death. It's almost like they finally got yeah. the last, you know, word, you know, and that's the last thing you hear before, you know, the end credits roll, which is an, just such an, it's just such an awesome touch. <laughs> it's it's haunting. It's actually, it's a little haunting. It's it really is. like, wow. Oh, okay. Like, like there's this idea that, that, you know what the the, pol- the the police could have not been there, and Tom could have not been there, and even little Peanut could have not been there, and nothing would be different. Like the yeah, w- what was going to happen was going to happen, and it was almost like preordained three thousand years ago. Um, and that that all this fuss and all the guns and all the cops and everything were were you know useless in the power of of that that curse. It's so interesting. Um, yeah, yeah, it's really great, and and but I do think it just sets up. It sets up this sequel marvelously too, where where they're going to find the, the the remains of that that mummy in the bog in um yeah in uh, in New Orleans Louisiana yes <laughs> Louisiana yeah or Louisiana yeah yeah um I, I love it um cool and that's everybody that's that's the mummy's ghost which I you know technically I guess there's not there's kind of the ghost of Ananka in it's, the movie yeah it, it is and I mean that's that's the mummy's that ghost sense. is is reference to the mummy of Ananka you know her ghost is yeah is come out and inhabited has, uh, poor has, Amina and that's you know that's what it is I mean tomb there's a there's a tomb in it the mummy's <laughs> hand I mean there is a hand I mean I mean his hand does kill people with his hand so I guess that makes sense I mean it, it does it used to seem like somehow like they just came up with a bunch of words and threw a dart at a board to come up with some of the names of these things but they should have kept you really it going the you know, logic yeah, yeah the, the mummy's <laughs> leg well, you know. the mummy's foot the mummy's, the mummy's you know, left elbow the mummy's <laughs> earlobe yeah, yeah yeah exactly the mummy's in-laws um yeah but uh, no, nah, I, I just I think it's over. Um, the credits are great. I I love that they do the the slightly uh, Arabic style style lettering yeah. and, and and whatnot to to finish the film and stuff like that. So I do. But, it is a lot. There's a lot of Wolfman music in it, but I think it's um I think the, I think the music serves it in most places really really well. Yeah, the and it's that same tone, that fatalistic for, tone. For whatever reason, the, the there's there's two films in the forties where the music sounds leaps and bounds ahead of everything else. And it's Ghost of Frankenstein and this one, Mummy's Curse. Because um, mm. the, the lows are lower and the highs are higher. It just sounds very crisp and very clear. And I, I don't know if that's just the preservation over the years or, or, or what have you, but um, just the music sounds superb. And a lot of it's from Son of Frankenstein and the Wolfman. And, and, um, and yeah, it does a, a great job. One last uh, bit of trivia I wanted to, point out was 
when Yusuf Bey gets killed, you know, he's kind of karate chopped and you see his, well, his dummy, but you see him yeah. fall out the window. And in the movie, obviously it cuts away before you actually see him hit the ground. But if you go back and watch the trailer, which is, a, a, you know, a bonus feature on any of the DVD versions of, of this movie, they show that shot, but they show it longer and you actually see him, boom, hit the ground. Oh, you, <laughs> see, is, you see the dummy hit the ground? Nice. Yeah, which is a pretty, it's a pretty cool, wish you wish they would have left it in that way, but... Obviously, yeah. for that time, they, they wouldn't. But that would be satisfying seeing seeing Yusuf to, Yusuf uh, uh, Bay actually like hit the ground and a thud. Um, yeah, then, yeah, yep, thud. That that's what take that. Um, <laughs> I'm in Raw's not protecting you now, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you you and your fez. Um, interesting. Uh, cool, man. Great talking with you about this one. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I do. I enjoy this whole cycle. I I just I think this. This sub franchise, the the Mummy films, overall, I mean, next to next to the Frankenstein uh, oeuvre, um, I think the Mummies is almost it's the tightest one. It really, the rules maintain consistency. Um, the character does evolve in this very subtle way, but there's also just a consistency of character too, having been only played by three actors as opposed to like four or six, right? Yeah. Um, like Dracula, like whatever. Um, and but but it moves forward like the the, the and but I think the Wolfman's like story is probably the the, the best arc the, the Larry Talbot arc is is Universal's most impressive character arc of, of any but um but I think this one holds up maybe a little bit better than than the Invisible Man one um which which jumps from generations and and there's a little bit of consistency confusion and and whatnot and sidetracks to women and whatnot um yes. yeah I, I think these are good and stylistically like you can watch all these in in a night. And really have like a fun experience, and then you know by the time you get to Abenakos told me the Invisible Man, you won't even remember or meet meet the Mummy. You won't even remember what did you watch <laughs> yeah. that one at the end of the night, which which is fine. But it's a fun movie, but you know, um, yeah, uh, just fantastic, uh, cool man. Hey, thank you so much, Olivio, for chatting me with this. I know this was a, a a you watched this one a lot as a kid. You said which which oh, is cool. I, I, I love I love your story about renting this. How much. Yeah, I, I had, uh, you know, when I was growing up, there was a, back when they still had these things, there was a mom and pop a video rental store kind of up the road from where, where my parents lived. And, and, um, I remember just from a very early age, the, you know, it's the type of store where the owner's there and, you know, you could talk to the, to the people and, and mm. kind of had that relationship. But he knew that I loved the universal horror movies. And as these were starting to come out on the, in that classic collection or the silver top, you know, uh, releases, he, he would so order nice. them because he knows that I would come in and, and rent them. And he and knows I, you'd I, rent them a few times, probably yeah, at so least it, it, make his money. My parents probably paid for these films like 80 different times before they actually yeah, bought exactly. them to keep. But, uh, He's no, like, the, that kid's such a sucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, there's that iconic shot, um, on the, on that cover of the, the but ninety two or ninety three VHS of the Mummy's Ghost of of Cheney, you know, yeah. with his big eye, you know, kind of looking, big eye, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, great, to the side. Great look. I just fell in love with it as a kid, and I just rented it and watched it over and over and over again. I, it was one of the the ones I kind of know, like the the back of my hands. So you you text yeah. me earlier today and like, hey, could you do the Mummy's Ghost? I was like, yes, I can. <laughs> yeah, I, I really don't need much prep time. That was yeah. great. You're, I was like, I, I'm I'm watching the film and trying to make notes real quick in time to for us to record. It was funny. So that's great. That that all worked out really great. Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening uh, to this uh, sort of special 
insert episode uh, for The Mummy's Ghost. Uh, my name is Jim. This is Livio with me. Uh, this is the Borgo Passport Podcast. Thanks again for following us. Please uh, follow us on Instagram. Follow us on our Facebook page. Uh, the Instagram page has a link tree where it will follow. It will take you to not only um, our podcast page but also our merchandise page. We have lots of cool graphics uh, that you can get on T-shirts and and hats, bags, coasters, framed prints, whatever uh, for all the avatar images uh, for the show. And we will be adding this Mummy's Ghost one to it pretty soon too, so you can check that out. All right. Uh, that's it for The Mummy's Ghost. We'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, Livio. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode. But the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Ahrens. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.